Welcome to 2-Bit Encryption, the officially unofficial podcast for Mr. Robot on USA. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, titled Episode 2.1, Colonel Panic. KSD. Yeah. Uh, we'll go with that. It's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the letters. You're not gonna get, you're it. not gonna do lead speak you don't speak lead speak, Jim? I, I can't. I can't bring myself. I'm not gonna say K three kernel. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. Uh all right. Fair enough. But just just know that whenever I say kernel panic, there are numbers in there somewhere. You can determine at your own leisure. Uh I'm I'm doing a remote show from Colorado today, so apologies if this is a little different than usual, but uh you know, the show must go on. Yeah, and this is the first time we've spoken since you left uh, a couple days ago. And, you know, we've both seen Mr. Robot. So I think the most important thing that I need to ask you at this point is what strange and exotic Pokemon are you catching in the mountains of Colorado? <laughs> I caught a a, po- a pony, a fire pony. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> uh, just kidding. We're not going to make this uh, Poke Talk. But uh, what did you, what did you think of the episode, man? Uh, I thought it was real good, um, aside from just very small issues I have with it. Uh, another excellent episode, and like maybe has the best montage they've ever done, in my opinion. Sure. sure. Uh, where where Elliot gets real happy and then real sad back to back about the immaculate dishes, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> and him like walking up the stairs. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there, but uh, we'll get to that. I just think that part was amazing. I think this might be the funniest Mr. Robot episode, and I use that in like every sense of the word funny. Like there okay. was some just moments of comedy that kind of won me over, but I I felt like there's a couple of points at um I, I felt there's a couple points in this episode where things got to be a little too much, and a lot of this is the usual suspects clustered around Price. Um, some of it was like Elliot's speech about religion in the middle, but then. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is I keep – after I think about it for a bit and then I, I read feedback and I go on Reddit and I see some of these people, you know, in, in in interpretations of these scenes and some of the allegories that they're laying just really thick on the show. And I, I battle these two impulses. One is, you know, is this going to be like True Detective where this stuff is pleasing in the moment but ultimately it's not clues so much as just like little dopamine rewards for paying attention Hmm. Uh, it doesn't have any predictive value, uh, and also be or and then the other um, feeling is like, oh my god, like how deep does this rabbit hole go? And like this, right. okay, now I have new appreciation for. I was so distracted by the surface level content being delivered in Elliot's rant about religion that I didn't get the deeper character meaning, and I I keep swinging back and forth of that way a lot on a lot of these characters and 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 moments. Mm-hmm. And it didn't help that, like you know, I pray, you know, I thought it was awesome last week how they went minimal commercial interruption. Uh, this week, I would describe it as maximal uh, commercial interruption, <laughs> like the very lengthy and frequent. Uh, like I felt like every ad that was missing from last week is inserted in this week in a live show, and it is very jumbled. I found I found that um, you know didn't didn't really. Co- cohese or cohere or adhere or, or come together and then when i watched the second time i was able to zap through the commercials i'm like okay this 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 was quite a bit better so i i was all over the map with this episode yeah yeah i get what you're saying about the commercials i i felt a lot of that too um normally i watch it on like dvr or whatever so yeah. i can skip those right uh, and it's not too much of a disruption but yeah this time oh boy there were a lot of them yeah and you know that's the thing i um 
I do at the end of the day I feel like this was about an hour of material. I felt like maybe this would be stronger with about 5 minutes taken out of it. Hmm. And and, okay. and and I can say this, I would have been a little bit more uh, positive except for you know I felt like you took the positive take and I agree with everything you said. Like this is another really awesome episode of uh Mr. Robot and it's beautiful and it it works on many levels. Um I just felt like that you know those are the weaknesses that I saw that that um I don't know. And again, this was, could be Sam Esmail working at a higher level storytelling at some in some of these scenes that I'm mm-hmm. uh, that I'm just not getting. But then, it, then again, it could be, you know, so, uh, True Detective one where the sure. daughter is making spiral graphs, and it just turns out she was making spiral graphs. So, <laughs> right, right. What are you going to do? Okay. Uh, well, maybe we can get more into detail in the recap. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, we start off with a flashback to Romero giving Mobley a tour of the Fun Society Arcade while he tells the pretty grisly story of this possibly cursed-placed history. I think this is uh, the next season of American Horror Story. This is the, <laughs> the plot line. Right, the arcade that wouldn't die. Might even be the next three seasons of American Horror Story. <laughs> Might be. Uh, so Mobley tells him that his guy, who at this point we know is... And, well, depending on your theory, it's either Elliot or Mr. Robot. Uh, not only wants to use the place, but he also wants to recruit him to do a job with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, Romero's quite on board yet. <laughs> I mm-hmm. guess it all depends on the money, as he says. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's a term in here that a lot of people might not understand, this freaker yeah. uh, term that Mobley uses, which is basically just the term for a hacker who focuses on telecommunications Mm-hmm. systems um so you'd hear a lot about freakers back in you know the 70s when it was like real easy to do this stuff you could do it with literally a captain crunch uh whistle that came out of that box right so uh that's what that means yeah and you get alignment hands headset handsets and right you know, make 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 uh, long distance phone calls on your neighbor's dime there's like all, i mean essentially you know this is a, a matthew broderick's war games kind of stuff yeah so, uh, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say, um, there's this interesting line right at, right off the bat here where he's talking about uh, Mobley being too ADD to really take in the world, didn't know all this stuff was here, which right. is a pretty good line in an episode where Elliot overdoses purposely on Adderall. Sure, sure, sure. Um. What did you when when I was watching the second time I was listening for like this the these these parts of the stories that kind of didn't make sense and the the last one about Clyde the guy that was the friend of Romero and bought the arcade in 2004 and turned it into its modern incarnation um did you think that Clyde actually is guilty of the crime and this is just prison bullshit you know, because like you can either believe that the guy his his brother shot his father with a shotgun, didn't expect a recoil, it flew him out the window, and the gun stayed in the floor, or and Clyde was just asleep, happened to be in sleep in the same in the same right. house, or you can make the jump easy jump to logic to Clyde shot his old man and shoved his brother out the window and was guilty of the crime that he committed right and just maintains his innocence to this day right i mean in prison sure i mean i, I watched shawshank i know the deal I mean, there's there's no guilty men in prison of so, course not and i felt like that I, maybe that's a, something i'm supposed to be asking because again it's my fucking weekly segment jim 
is any of this shit real? Like, <laughs> I, you cannot rely on anyone passing information, even if they sincerely believe it's true. It's like, just take a step back and, like, this is kind of a funhouse universe, the whole sure. thing. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of places where you can kind of ground yourself. Like, basically, when Elliot's not on the screen or involved in a particular scene, uh, but, and Mr. Robot isn't, and Tyrell isn't, like, I, I think you can start I, to ground yourself in some of Ray's scenes. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And, and Darlene. For, they, they they may I mean I felt like everything I thought I knew about Dom the FBI agent um, yeah last week about her being confident and outgoing and like the anti Elliot was fucking wrong she's almost a Tyrell type that she is faking this I guess not competence but this social comfort and that she's just kind of as as weird and sleep deprived and. Cra- not not crazy yet that we know of, but then again, you know mm-hmm. how how long it takes us to realize how disturbed Elliot was. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I I you you're you're right. I mean, I guess you could say as a rule that if El- Elliot or Mister Robot aren't, isn't on the screen, you can trust what's going on. But I feel like the the more we introduce these characters and the more that they have their own psychological issues, the more kind of you know a right. lot of things are thrown into doubt. And that's fair, too, because, I mean, Ray, we find out, is dealing with his own set of psychological issues sure, around he's the talking, death of his wife. He's talking to his uh, kidney dialysis machine. Right. Right. So <laughs> it's like, how much do you trust him at this point? And maybe, like, you don't come at it from the angle of, oh, maybe they're all Elliot. But, you know, this show ultimately is about mental illness in a lot of ways. And we might be seeing a lot of people who are mentally ill in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, did you think that this opening was very Quentin Tarantino? Uh, I didn't get that vibe. Why do you say that? Like, it's consciously dialogue heavy. It wasn't edited. It's like someone just wrote a script of this whole conversation. We got all of it. And the way even the cadence it was delivered was like one of those self-consciously cool, um, uh, Tarantino moments. And then when we get the Dusty Springfield track... Uh, you know this the '60s '70s kind of anthem thing going with these sweeping shots in New York. I I mm. felt it was a bit uh you know very opening of a Tarantino movie. Okay, sure. Um, but I I don't know. And then the other thing is, uh, what did you think of the final statement from Romero where uh Mo- Mobley asked him what what happened to the U and N, and he's like, oh, well, that's a story for a different time. I, I thought that was Tarantino too, and also. Okay. Maybe threatening to be like this whole scene maybe threatening to be over the top because like the Tarantino stuff gets away with it because it's all so fascinating, right? And I felt mm-hmm. like this lacked just like ten percent of that crispiness in the dialogue and that crackle. So okay. I don't know. Yeah. I hope I, I don't come across as shitting on this episode. That's the last <laughs> thing I want. I'm sure we'll get to some parts that you really like and we can talk about those. No, I thought you were gonna say, Well, I'm sure we'll we'll get to the parts where you really hate and then no, <laughs> there'll no, be no, no. doubt. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that they're doing in this scene that maybe for me kind of, you know, smooths over that 10% that you're talking about is the sort of matching themes of these stories with the show at large with, you know, the kid shooting his dad in the head, uh, yeah. the, the, the guy going backward out the window. Like Which you can, you can see a lot of parallels. Sure. That's, that's Elliot's, uh, ba- uh, prologue and epilogue at this point, you know, his dad pushed him out a window and now right. his dad's shooting him in the head. So and a lot of it feels very loose. It's not like these are exactly the things that have happened to these exact people, but uh it's creating a certain a certain milieu here. 
Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is what do you think about Mr. Robot's use of stealth F-bombs? There oh, yeah. were at least half a dozen, if not more, in this episode. Uh, I I like it. Like I To me, I think the fact that you're stealth F-bombing these things is dumb. Like, I mean, right. if you're watching this with your kid in the room, I think you got bigger things to worry about than the fact that you, <laughs> they might hear the, f- the word fuck from time to time. Uh-huh. But if this is the, you know, deal I have to make with puritanical America to avoid, you know, straining to go around that kind of authentic uh, dialogue, then I guess I'm okay with it because I see a bolder. I, I mean, I feel like this dialogue felt more natural than some of the stuff you see on like The Walking Dead or, right. you know, even Breaking Bad and Mad Men from time to time would would be robbed of of rightful uses of f words what what did you think uh yeah no I'm, I'm glad that they're actually saying it even if they are bleeping it out because you know on the dvd set you're gonna get the full unedited version right right so it, they can at least write the way they want to write and not have to worry about that yeah uh okay so as you mentioned we get the credit sequence with some helicopter or maybe even drone shots That's, of new york i was wondering because I mean, they were amazing. They they were really amazing. And kind of adds to the unhinged equality that you kind of come up on this tower, go over it, and then you continue. The camera just <laughs> now it's looking at it upside down. Yeah. Um. You know that's that's all within the show's wheelhouse and theme. But I wonder the same thing too. It's like, can you get that nice of a camera that stabilized? I mean, I've seen like what the MythBusters do, but like mm-hmm. that was just beautiful. It was. Um, and Elliot's narrating over it and, and kind of comes in with his panic uh, burrowing under and nesting and uh, screaming in his mind as we cut back to his call with Tyrell. And he's trying to figure out where are you and what happened the night of the hack. And he actually almost gets Tyrell to tell him before Mr. Robot ends the call abruptly. And Elliot sees on the news uh, Gideon has been murdered. Mm-hmm. I also love how Gide- or, uh, Elliot at this point is is uh, fully embracing my segment of is this real because he's himself asking like yeah. like Mr. Robot's like what more do you want you just talked to him you just heard him. he's like but I talked to you too and the whole audience is like <laughs> yes that's a good point right. uh, what what's your money on do you think that uh, this you know obviously I I was epically wrong with my thought that this was the assassin uh, right it's definitely Tyrell um, yeah. But, do you think it's definitely Tyrell, or do you think it's... Well, you know... I mean, who do you think Tyrell is at this point? Is Tyrell alive? <laughs> is Tyrell a real person? Is he now part of Elliot's psyche? Like, I, I think any of those could be true. Yeah. All we know for sure is that whatever uh, Tyrell is on the other, other end of that line, it's now uh, part part of the mystery of of what Elliot needs to figure out here. I guess I've been thinking about this of late, and I've come to the conclusion that I do think that uh, Tyrell's still alive because I hmm. do think that he's the one sending the phone to Joanna. Although I guess I could be talked into that that being Elliot too. <laughs> That's okay. Mr. Mr. Rope part of his psyche trying to stir the shit or keep his end of the bargain going or something. So maybe I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. Clearly, you know, I, I did some more digging. Several people confirmed that there is a gun in that popcorn machine. Right. You know, they conspicuously had Elliot going for it. He blacked out. He woke up in Tyrell's car. Those are the facts that we know. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't add up too much in the hill of beans in the universe of Mr. Robot. So I, I guess I think he's still alive. If I have to go with my gut. What's your gut say? Okay, that's funny because I've actually come around to the other side of this. <laughs> and now, of course, of course. I think that he's not alive. I think Elliot killed him. So the you popcorn think popcorn gun you, makes a lot of sense. So, so you think Mr. Robot is sending her? She's he's he's the one sending yeah. her the phone. Yep, and Tyrell, and this phone call is now all in his head. I, I, I think a lot of that makes sense. He's basically he's trying to figure out what happened the night of the hack, and Tyrell, as part of his psyche, is some some. It's an avenue for him to investigate his own memories, right? Okay, no, wait a second. So do you, you've come all the way around, and the Tyrell's a, a, has always been a figment of Mister Robot. No, no, no. Okay, no. okay. The, so he's he absorbed that part of him. That okay. Yes, and now that memory of him killing him and doing the hack—that's all wrapped up in this voice of Tyrell on the phone, which is not real. Gotcha. Okay, that's where I'm coming from. And there's no real like super good evidence other than popcorn gun and a mm-hmm. conspicuous cut to to inform us. But whatever. Right. right. Uh, I'm sure I'll be proven wrong next episode, I mean, did, did, and you'll did, did, come he, back around. Well, that's the other thing, <laughs> and now that I'm thinking about it, like <laughs> anytime Miss, in, anytime Elliot's telling us that we we should be skeptical of what we're seeing, I'm like, huh, maybe we should just maybe this is happening just straight up, you know? <laughs> like, like uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to, to dip and, and and dodge and weave here. So, uh-huh. like, if he's telling us, oh, then maybe this is fake. Well, then maybe that's du- double secretly real. Yeah, this show, man. I know. I don't, I don't know what to think anymore. I know. I know. And like I said, when I started doing the re, and I see, I'm seeing all the religious and historical allusions that are being piled onto these episodes, I'm like, this is, this is, this is intense, man. And the, yep. and the fact that they're, I mean, it, um, I also got some email about some AR, ARG they've already played, and like I know that they, we'll talk about that in the feedback section. Uh, and they're doing a lot of crazy things. Like, have you seen the Mr. Robot site? The Mr. Who is Mr. Robot dot com? Yeah, I saw that. Uh, and they're a lot embedding of good stuff in there. Yeah, they're embedding clues and stuff, and you can go off script at that. And they had the 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 binary code or the hex decimal code of uh, Elliot's kernel uh-huh. panic message, and that you could decode that. And it's yeah. It, so when we get crazy. to those scenes, I think for people who don't know what we're talking about, haven't haven't been looking around on Reddit lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go over a couple of those things when we get there. Okay, cool. Uh, so, so if you're like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Just stick around for a bit. A bit. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Right. Mobley goes to visit Romero at home, but he's been shot dead. Who killed Mobley, Jim? Uh, wow. Well, it could be Ray. <laughs> sure. Because I think Ray's into bad shit. We'll talk about that later. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It could be. I, I guess it could be Elliot. Well, or like the show seems us the you know put the the show itself raises the possibility that it's a dark army with Elliot, you know, essentially cleaning up these loose ends that are his former collaborators, right? Right. I mean, that's that's basically what I was getting at. Okay, um, good. It, because it could like, be Elliot I, or potentially even Darlene herself. Elliot himself, I don't know that he has the resources for it. Right. Um, but, although I guess I don't know if he could social engineer one one kooky guy to kill a, a good man, he could do it again. So, yeah. Maybe. But then also Darlene is uh, throws the suggestion, which seems kind of self serving to me. But then again, you know this this the show being what it is that uh, this is just a standard drug hit. This guy was selling mass quantities of weed, and you know we know what a fucking bloodbath that market is. Uh, right. Some someone came and capped him. Could be. 
Uh, yeah, she she said from the beginning this guy is kind of a wild card, right? He could be a loose end given right. the, his, his drug operation. And then they kind of – it's interesting that they juxtaposed his death with the cold open where he seemed the very reluctant uh, entry. And we also know that, you know, uh, Elliot slash Mr. Robot had to pull a gun on him last year when he started right. to waver and is so – May I that you know that that kind of supports that maybe it's a Darlene or Elliot angle, yeah, maybe. Uh, then we go over to Ray sitting in his dining room eating, doing dialysis, and talking to someone that we don't see, but of course, we later find out that he's talking to his dead wife. Yeah, it's funny because I was looking at it and I'm like, man, it's it's just off the way they framed this damn shot, you can't see who he's talking to. I assumed it was going to be someone <laughs> right. else, but. You know, I guess I didn't, you know, I see a man chewing down on, chowing down on bacon. I don't think he's, like, hooked up to dialysis. Right. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was surprising. I thought he was talking to someone else who was, and maybe, yeah. like, I'm like, how long are these fucking tubes? Yeah. What, are they in the kitchen pouring a Mountain Dew or something? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, that threw me the first time I watched it. Yep. All makes sense in hindsight, though. Uh, we move on to Leon meeting Elliot at the basketball court with a covert delivery of Adderall. And Mr. Robot shows up, questions what the drugs are going to accomplish, and then Elliot begins downing pill after pill as he tells us that he's trying to induce a colonel panic. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the scene, he's abducted. Yeah, I the skit, the thing that I don't understand is what is it about, because it seems like he just was using the Adderall as you know a form of speed to deny himself sleep. Right. So... Is that what he's referring to as overdosing on? Uh, uh, because the first time when I hear him, I'm going to overdose on uh, Ritalin or Adderall, I'm thinking, well, that's a bizarre way to kill yourself, right? Uh, so, so I don't know. Did he have to just get this massive dose of Adderall in his system and then maintain it? Is that what I'm supposed to get from this, or was he? I mean, why did he take like ten pills? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I like the Colonel Panic idea. To me, is that he wants to sort of crash and reboot his brain, right? Um, but I, I'm not sure why he thinks that's necessarily going to get rid of Mister Robot. Right. I, maybe he's just keeping himself, keeping Mister Robot at bay long enough for you know, his lack of sleep to do the crash and, and reboot sort of thing. So that's, it's interesting that they use this kernel panic uh, idea, which is when an operating system gets to an unstable state and it knows that it's got several internal checks. It's like, whoop, this isn't right. This, you know, uh, I, I, I can't necessarily figure out how I got here. I can't necessarily recover and I can no longer guarantee that I haven't been hacked or, that you know the, my systems are synchronized and my memory registers are all properly noted and this could be a security problem so i'm going to force a crash and dump a bunch of shit out f- so for diagnosis purposes uh so it's interesting that like i he has a very biological way of doing this that uh you know uh elliot has detected that uh, his internal processes aren't running right he's not sure how he got there he doesn't think he can recover so he's going to reboot himself it's yeah uh but i i just didn't get the overdose part of it if he's like i'm going to take ritalin so i don't go to sleep and that's going to you know the sleep is when mr robot holds sway like i felt that would a track cleaner there's just something about the 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 overdose thing that i i couldn't figure out yeah no i'm with you i'm i'm not sure exactly how that tracks either but yeah 
maybe some of our listeners will have some insight next week. What did you um, think about the scene of uh, the men in black abducting him and forcing cement down his throat? Uh, <laughs> right. Like, uh, the, the, and then, like, you just you see in Elliot's throwing up all this stuff. It looks like he's throwing up grits with medicine in it and picking it out and re-eating it. That was, ah, that's another scene where it's like I kept on like, man, is this too much? But by the end, it was so awesome, and Malik is so committed to it that it won me over. Uh, yeah, that... That scene was real gross, um, but it, like you said, it was also awesome, uh, so I didn't mind it too much. Did and you get any Team America World Police <laughs> flashbacks from it? <laughs> I, I guess so, the yeah. Ep- the epic vomiting with the <laughs> right. music, and yeah. Yeah, but it's so good, because you know, it becomes apparent that this whole ruse, this whole van thing with the cement and everything, is Mr. Robot trying to regain control of, of Elliot, right. and uh, Elliot protesting and just like doing one of the most unimaginably disgusting things that I can think of in the moment right. uh, to, to prove that he will not be owned. Uh, yeah. and he is actually in control. It's and real to, good. To an ex- to what an extent that he's lost control, too, that he... I mean, this is a waking delusion that's utterly convincing to him. Like, this is what yep. Mr. Robot is able to do at a snap. And this is why you need the colonel panic. Right. Uh, we did kind of skip a scene here with Mobley on the subway trying not to look suspicious with these these cops on board. And then they leave. Darlene sits down, and they talk about Romero's death briefly. Uh, Mobley's pretty broken up about it, but all Dar- Darlene really cares about is uh, saying, I told you so. I told you he's a liability, and also wondering whether anyone saw him at Romero's house. Do you and- think that Darlene is, was actually thinking that Mobley should have killed Romero, uh, Romero's grandma? I so that has me wondering and it also has me wondering if maybe she didn't do the hit on or or commission the hit on yeah. Romero himself, you know? I mean, a lot of people are suspect in this episode. Yeah, cuz that's what I my first thought is I felt like that's definitely where her mind was going, like, you know, did anyone yeah. see you and like, oh no, just a bunch of looky-loos and well, here comes the box cutter. Uh I I thought that, yeah, I I she's extremely sketchy in this episode. She is, and I think actually her her path. I, I don't know if it parallels it or, or contrasts with it, but we're we're later on talking with Angela and Phillips. Like you need to take emotion out of the equation, right? Right. And it feels to me like Darlene almost kind of has um, when it comes to certainly Romero, who I don't know how she, well she knew him, right? Um, but you know, she's pretty callous about his death there. Yeah. No. Totally. Um, yeah. And. The other thing is, like, yeah, I, I feel like I am starting to suspect her, but on the other hand, since the other characters in the universe are also starting to suspect her, I'm, I guess I got this prejudice that it can't possibly be her then. <laughs> okay. You know? Like, I'm, I'm right. playing this game of chicken with the, with, with the S-mail, and I don't, know, I don't know what's up and down. Sure. Uh, okay, and, and in this scene, uh, Mobley tells Darlene that uh, Romero's mom saw him at the house. Right. which comes up later. Uh, so we talked a, a little bit about the uh, cement scene and the vomiting scene. Uh, super gross. Let's move on to Angela <laughs> going to see Philip in his office, who offers some condolences. Oh, for before getting... we move on with, with yeah. always. So, so what we've seen with Leon and Adderall and all that, um, are we RIP prison theory? 
Because both of us thought it was pretty plausible, but after we recorded last week, I started thinking about it over the weekend. I'm like, you know, he met with his therapist. Like, how in the world would that work in prison? And some of these shots and the fact that he would get Adderall in prison and do this overdose and vomit in his uh, cell and nobody... I I just felt like it got less and less plausible. And the fact that now that we know that... You say his name is Ray, Craig Robinson's character? Yeah. The fact that he is... Doing criminal stuff on the outside and not at all acting like a guard, either a guard or a, uh, right. you know, a, a, a prison counselor. I mean, you can make the argument in the first one, but uh, it's, it's feeling like uh, less and less as evidence is starting to fit that 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 blatant, literally nothing we see is real kind of theory. What do you, yeah, what do you think? I, I think I'm with you. I, I don't know that it's 100% dead. I mean, they could still pull it around. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely leaning away from that now. Uh, is there any... Anything to the fact that Ray doesn't have his dog with him in this episode at all? That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it until you started talking about him, and I remembered, hey, he doesn't have his dog. Well, it's funny because, like, the whole... I thought uh, someone noticed late last week we got a shot in the arm of the whole is Elliot Leon theory because people pointed out that Leon has a bandana on his head uh, Mr. Robot ties a bandage very, very much the same position and stuff that the bandana is on Leon's head. Next time we see Leon, Leon's not wearing the bandana. Mm-hmm. Almost as that if this metaphorical bandage switched from Leon to Elliot. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. A shot in the arm. And um, but then you know they kind of identified them as two separate. Like like why would or how would Elliot give himself Adderall? <laughs> Do you know? Like, uh, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, like, you know, that, that stuff, that, that game they're playing with, the, the head wound and the bandage, that seemed pretty deliberate, too. So what the fuck? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's certainly possible that they're also not the same person but are in prison together. Yeah. But um, but what or, you said, now he's missing a dog. Like, if, if you, right. part of your evidence was, well, that's a therapy dog, well, then, okay, what mm-hmm. the fuck? Where's the, th- you know? Um, sure. And and how does the cybercrime stuff fit in with all that theory, too? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was a tough week for the prison theory. Strong theory. <laughs> good good, good week one theory coming out of the gate. Yep. Got me excited for week three and four theories. <laughs> all right, let's move on to Angela. She's in Philip's office. He's offering condolences for Gideon's death. Then he tells her to change the interview that she set up, that she went to such lengths to set up last episode. Uh, to Fox News instead of Bloomberg and to get final approval on all the questions, a whole lot more demands. And she protests, and Philip invites her to dinner later in the week and agrees, yeah, let's keep the interview on Bloomberg TV. It's a better fit. Uh, And then before she leaves, he notices her looking at this uh, framed Franz Ferdinand assassination flyer, Mm -hmm. I guess. That's the thing that started World War War I. Right. In a roundabout way. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, a couple things. The restaurant is called Fidelio's, which, you know, I, I don't speak Italian, but that seems like it has something to do with Fidelis, you know, the Latin concept of uh, faithfulness, loyalty, like the Semper Fidelis Marine, Marine slogan, always faithful. Okay. Um, and, you know, we had, the, what was that, the, the name of the notebook that you pointed out? Confictious? Conficture? Uh, which yeah the latin like the latin root of that was like the complete opposite is like dishonesty and and fantasy yeah, like, and all that uh-huh. so um i don't know what to make of that like is the show trying to say that the uh, 
the way these men are viewing the world is fundamentally more real than the way Mr. Robot's viewing it? I don't know. I mean, I guess, what do you think Sam Esmail's sort of views on it would be, you know? I, I don't know a ton about the guy, but it seems someone who makes this show... Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I suspect that he, I mean, he seems like he's a pretty liberal guy and he doesn't like, you know, f- uh, global free trade and some of the things that are happening. And, right. And, but, but he also might acknowledge that um, that's the way the world is. It's a kind of Darwinistic predatory thing is the way the world is set up. Like, you know, Mr. Yeah. Robot's essentially trying to fight this natural behavior. And, and yeah, maybe, yeah. The, I mean, that still can be a hopeful message of like, well, you know, that's one of the, the emergent qualities of our consciousness is as empathy and compassion. So, yeah, you can argue nature, you know, red and tooth and, and claw all you want. But at the end of the day, we're compassionate beings and we want to move towards a society that's no longer Darwinistic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I don't know. But with, within this universe, with Angela being kind of tempted by yeah. th- like a literal satanic figure... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just trying to pick up all these illusions. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with Angela. I don't, whatever this guy's up to, I don't trust him. Yeah. And also what the hell is Semifredo? Uh, it's some pasta dish. It's yes, surely. But I was expecting for, I, I, was, I was hoping for a little <laughs> bit more, man. Cause I'm no, like, I'm, you know, you've never had Semifredo until you've, I was like, I've honestly never had Semifredo. Like, neither uh, have I. I've so. had uh, chicken Alfredo. Uh, so the Fredo is <laughs> definitely there, the same. but well, what is semi Fredo? It's, it's like it's halfway between Fredo and what spaghetti? I I don't know. And then you got just straight up Fredo, and nobody wants to be that. No, oh, no, <laughs> you never go full Fredo. <laughs> All right, uh, let's. Do you have anything? Any comments about the Franz Ferdinand stuff? We know he his uh, assassination there just start is basically what triggered world war one well and the thing is if, and it was if such you, a small action in in context right but that, that like there's there was no damn good reason for all of the world to go to war over the in- incident but because of the way all the complex european alliances worked mm-hmm. it was like this game of continual escalation like people are putting their hands over each other's hands on top of a baseball bat and and then you know, it's like it's it's you, you got uh, it embroiled in end up the big powers, the Germanys and the Frances and the yeah. England and Americas over this stuff that happened in, you know, what is it? Uh, the Some kind of Serbian civil war and the uh, former Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. And this is a very and minor nobility. And, and it was uh, a, yeah, it all got you know, at, at any at any point someone could say, like, you know what? This is stupid. Right. Let's not throw away a hundred million lives, but no one did. So, yep. Uh, so it all started. I think honestly, we're in for some pretty apocalyptic shit here in Mister Robot because I, I view this as the, the Franz Ferdinand assassination as basically Mister or not Mister Robot, but Angela's parents getting killed. Right, and that's the oh, thing. Like okay. I'm viewing this from from that lens where because I I a was very like, small thing they thought at the time has kind of escalated into this massive event now that is taking down E Corp. It's interesting because I actually thought they were trying to draw an association from the Archduke Ferdinand's assassination to the attack from F Society, and I'm like, well, shit, if. If that is to that as World War One is to whatever we're going to have now, then good God, apocalyptic right. is right. But I think you might be right that this and and but uh, you know, well, I'm also going there, right? Uh, I I think you know that's all tied into 
that, that's of a piece. Okay. Because, um, you know, that's the thing that killed uh, Elliot's dad. Like, there's a lot of stuff tied in, up in that leak, right? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And that's the thing that's like, which... Which is the originating event, you know? Like, uh, Archduke Ferdinand was a, ice, a single isolated thing, whereas I guess in this universe you're supposed to believe that E-Corp has done so much shit that, say, Angela and Elliot, you know, Elliot decided to get therapy and get healthy and stopped his nighttime crusader, and Angela just, you know, kept her, you know, nose to the grindstone and didn't become a, a warrior for, for justice for her father. Someone mm-hmm. else would have. It was inevitable. And, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of like, that's the thing, like, a lot of historians will be like, you know, yeah, technically this is the instigation of World War One, but the way things mm-hmm. were going with the military build buildup and the competition and the paranoia between the powers, that this was a powder keg. This was the match that lit it, yes, but had the Archduke survived or this assassination attempt never happened or was foiled, it would have happened maybe months later. So right. it's kind of, I, I guess, yeah, the more you think of it, the more those historical illusions kind of fit on multiple levels. Yeah, I I certainly think so. And it's, you know, it it fits in with that idea of control being an illusion as well. Because the way that they were operating and just their basic philosophies, you know, put put into motion things that they couldn't control. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I I don't know. I I think if you look at World War I as a portent for what's to come on this story, yeah, it could go real deep, real dark. Uh, Anyway, so we we go to the... um, to Dom, Dominique, who is laying awake at 4 a.m., watching TV, reading articles about Gideon, and she gets ready for work, which includes multiple cups of coffee and a long-ass procedure. Uh, I don't know when she leaves, but she starts getting ready around 4 a.m., and it, the sun is up. Yeah, you got so. to start your day with the highwaymen. Can't, yeah. can't, can't start your day without uh, Johnny so. Cash and Chris Christopherson crooning about... <laughs> They're weird. That's a weird song, man. I did not uh, look it up. What's that? What is it about? Do okay, you know? so I, I first was exposed to this when Johnny Cash died, and I started going on this Johnny Cash. And I was like, man, this guy's makes some really amazing music. And um, I, I bought a couple of his greatest hits albums, and this was on one of them. I, so I guess back in the 80s that Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and uh, shit, uh, Willie Nelson formed a, a country supergroup. They called right. themselves the Highwaymen, and their inspiration was this song that was from, I think, the early 60s uh, that they covered. And it's essentially each one of the artists sang a verse about a man. Like, you know, Will and Nelson started that he was a highwayman, and you know, he killed a bunch of dudes, and he robbed a bunch of ma- maids, and then they hung him. And then uh, Johnny Cash was a sailor. Uh, on the high seas and he died in a storm and then it ends with the last one i forget who it is is a starship captain you know but it's like it's like a kin so then i never could figure out it's like okay is this like essentially a bunch of ghosts in some kind of weird valhalla sharing notes or is this like uh you're supposed to understand that this is one kindred spirit that's embodied different Hmm. you know like like a reincarnation kind of thing Okay. Where like you know, highwayman's a lawless guy, but like a sailor is, you know, he's he's doing legit stuff. And then one guy I think was, uh, you know, uh, some some sort of a hero- oh, he was a bridge builder or a dam builder that got killed in. A- so it's like, you know, one guy's bad guy, one guy's good guy, one guy's just a blue collar worker, and one guy's James T. Kirk. Like that's what hmm. the song's about. 
what the fuck this has to do with Mr. Robot <laughs> other than the duality of man and like the fact that you can have multiple spirits in one person. Right. I, I, I don't know. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't say anything about it. So what? What is uh? What does uh, Dom have in her safe? Uh, her badge. I'm pretty sure that her badge. Probably but... her gun. Her phone for work. But she had all these. I think hard drives or maybe dat tapes that were labeled one. The, the top one was labeled September, and the other one was labeled June. And I believe there was twelve two stacks of six. So. Huh. I, I mean, you know, so what we know about this character, she speaks Farsi. She's mm-hmm. running an app on her phone that's supposed to help her overcome social anxiety. She can't sleep. She listens to the highwaymen. She's got a she's on Reddit's makeup addiction subreddit. Uh and she's got <laughs> some kind of high tech stuff in her and, and twelve months worth of high tech stuff in her safe. Um huh. Probably too early for us to figure these things out, but I'm just throwing out all these details we're getting into her character so that uh, when they pop up later, we can be like, aha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so she goes over to the scene of Romero's death, and she starts investigating a little bit, uh, asking around as, as far as what they've found. One of the agents there is sick, and he's contaminating the crime scene both with his sickness and his agent's incompetence. This is Keystone uh, Cop shit, man. It really is. Like, like, like the tone CSI? Of, the tone of this scene is kooky. It's kooky. Okay, sure. Uh, he he shows her a list of FBI agents that Romero had uh, printed out, apparently, and she takes pictures of it. Um, and you got I, the... She was, on, she was on one of those the lists. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Later we find out she her name actually is on that list. Because yeah. it's a list of... of all the uh, the agents in the FBI, right? Right, a partial list that got leaked several months earlier in this universe. I, I, I I'm, I'm, is, is what yeah. the, she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really know who leaked that. Uh, yeah, but it it sounds like it could be someone from within the FBI, even, uh, or maybe it was just hacked out of their computers. Who knows? So, what is the point of this scene? Is this supposed to draw a further parallel? Well, first of all, what do you think the point of this scene is? Before I start suggesting things to you. I'm wondering if this isn't setting up. So uh, it's probably doing multiple things, but the agent's sickness to me, like it felt very much like they're setting up a problem with disease to come. Like if you don't have money and the infrastructure starts to crumble, what happens when people start to get sick in big numbers? Mm, which is another uh, World War Two uh, one illusion. You first had the war, and right. then you had Spanish influenza and you know it's like there's a real there's a re- there's a reason that a lot of millennial cults popped up but it did seem like it might be <laughs> the end of the world right uh-huh. so I, I think that's all just kind of tied up in this and i don't know if they're going to run with that and maybe we'll see bigger problems with sickness in the future of this show but I, I think that's part of it what what about like the the tech part you know like these modified ports and yeah. The hard drives being destroyed. Well, I kept on thinking that maybe they're trying to draw a lot of parallels between Dom and Elliot because in season one, it was a story of Elliot who is this super com- competent person and everyone else in his work was kind of like thumbs up their asses. Yeah. Like he was literally the only one, uh, as far as we could tell, at safe, uh, all safe, that was worth a damn. And, you know, as thus far, we've the, the people talk about the FBI in this hushed tones, but then we see it, and the FBI agents are a bunch of dumb fucks. Well, were these guys FBI agents, or were these just NYPD 
think they were local. Okay, okay. I, I don't think they were federal. Okay, cool. Uh, but still, like, the fact that the law enforcement, which everyone fears in this world, is largely a bunch of doofuses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that Dom is the Elliot of the law enforcement. Like, she's the one that knows what the hell she's doing. If, if people would only listen to her, then evidence wouldn't be on fire. Uh, right. I, yeah. But I, they, they are trying to draw some obvious parallels between Dom's experience and Elliot's. Yeah. Which one, uh, it makes me wonder of whether she... You mentioned last week that she was going to be the primary antagonist. Sure. Maybe she'll end up being co-opted in a similar way that... Okay. Uh, well, because you know, I don't think Angela anyone called was, right? or, or Tyrell Wellick. Like no one called that okay. him and Mr. Robot are going to work together by the end of the season. Yet they did after right. a fashion that's kind of mysterious, and we still don't know. Maybe Mr. Robot killed him. I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that could be interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing her. You know, not just like physically going toe to toe with Elliot, but also mentally and ideologically. Yeah, um, I mean, she's running around catching the bad guys. What has it gotten her? It's gotten her sleepless right. nights and uh, cyber sex addiction that she doesn't feel good about and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever else is going on with her crippling social anxiety that she's able to mask <laughs> by speaking Farsi in <laughs> in, yeah. in uh, quick stops. I don't know. All right. Let's move on to Darlene and Mobley visiting Trenton to discuss Romero and what they should be doing next. And Mobley suggests that maybe the Dark Army could be killing them off, and Elliot could actually be helping them. Mm-hmm. Darlene says, no way, man, and tells him to be cool. Uh, and once Darlene leaves, Mobley tells Trenton that Elliot and Darlene could be trying to eliminate them to cover their tracks. Because they are, in fact, the tracks he speaks of. Yep. Yep. They sure are. Which, again, anytime the show itself is nakedly saying that I should be suspicious of something, of course, I'm like, well, they're just trying to misdirect me. Yeah, exactly. I I th- had the same thought while I was watching it. Uh, oh, that's an interesting theory. No, no, they wouldn't tell me that if that was true. Yep, yep, couldn't possibly. Couldn't possibly be true. So, I, I don't know. The, I mean, this show seems to do a pretty good job of showing you things that are real and things that aren't real and letting you try to determine which ones are fictions. It, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, just when I start to feel foolish that I'm bringing all this meta shit into the analysis, then... You know, I see some 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 contests they're doing, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe this maybe this is adding up to something. Yeah, and when they put as much effort into the alternate reality stuff as they have been, you have to you have to think, okay, there's meta here to be explored. So so that's the other thing is what's killing me is that we had to to make this uh, podcast work right now as we speak. The virtual reality experience is only going to be available for like 30 minutes today is is happening if oh, you've got no. if you've got a, if you've got a virtual reality device you have to have like google glass what not google glass google cardboard or something at least that level or higher that they're, they've oh, got man. this exclusive thing that they're releasing uh, it's called the mr robot virtual experience it's happened it happened that uh, by the time you hear this, it's one forty-five p.m. on Thursday afternoon, and uh, like I don't have a VR device, so I couldn't do it anyway. But I, I, I'm sure that'll be a hot topic for discussion next week on the podcast. Whether it was cool, what new information we found out, whether it was kind of a gimmicky or just kind of a drink more Ovaltine <laughs> situation or what. But you know, that's pretty I, fucking crazy. Yeah, I think. Uh... It's it's going to be interesting to see how people try and capture VR sessions because I'm sure somebody out there is trying to do it. 
Well, that's the thing. Like, I it doesn't have to be VR. I mean, you just eliminate one eye's worth of detail, and it's essentially whatever you're seeing is on a video. So, I got, right, I'm but, confident there'll be a there'll be a YouTube that has the whole thing on. I just. Well, I mean, what do you, what do you mean the whole thing? If it's like a 360 experience, yeah, it's and only if they're not interacting with everything. Because like I was messing yeah. around that who is Mr. Robot site, and it gives you a limited amount of commands, and I was just typing in random stuff. Like I typed in F Society, and it took me <laughs> to a whole like there there's like it took me to a bonus site, and I'm like, huh, oh, mental shit. note. I'm gonna have to go back, and so I started trying like you know Darlene and Ray, and like I started typing in characters' names and different stuff, and I, I haven't got any further than just F Society, but. Uh, Okay. I, yeah, by the time this season's over, who the hell knows what they're going to be doing with this stuff. But I just thought it was, it's crazy, the fact that they're doing this VR thing that's time-locked for like 30 minutes on a random Thursday afternoon. Yeah, that's cool, though. I like it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Ray's sitting across from a, across the table from a guy who's been doing some tech work for him. Um, Ray complains that his website's down and this guy needs to get it back up. The guy tearfully says, look, I can't figure out how to fix it. They need to migrate uh, to a site that's more secure um, or migrate the site to servers that are more secure. Ray goes downstairs to a van where he tells the guy who did the beating, apparently, um, Mm -hmm. that they need to look into this migration because this guy really doesn't know what's up. Yeah, he's uh, thumbs up his asses. It sounds like these guys uh, got got their hands in their Bitcoin wallets and... yep keep crashing a server and that that sucks like we talked about last week like if someone started encrypting bald move podcast it's pretty much well <laughs> i guess this is our life now because sure as shit we won't be able to figure out how to stop it <laughs> so i'm trying to figure out who ray is and yeah. what he does because he seems to be a bit of a confidence man himself uh i think i i my best guess right now is that he's running some kind of Silk Road style website ring. No, I got it all figured out. He's running a uh, CS:GO gambling site. <laughs> okay. And right. did, did he talk about it on his YouTube channel? At yeah, all? and, and Gabe is cracking down on him. So you know, he's, fair he's, enough. He's got to got to stay agile. But you know, when you talk about emptying Bitcoin wallets and servers right. that keep crashing, to me, it says organized crime. It's some kind Silk of dark Road. net thing. Yeah. Right. Deep web bullshit yep. uh it maybe even this guy could be leon's supplier because uh we know like if you assume he's into drugs we know okay he got the adderall from somewhere uh they are i guess tangentially connected sure somehow through mr robot yeah maybe. You, you wonder maybe leon's the one that turned him on to him right because he found out about mr robot somehow yeah yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot to go on there other sure. than Bitcoins and web servers that keep crashing. Yeah. Uh, so it's we'll see. I'm, story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bitcoins sh- and websites crashing. I'm sure we'll get more info on that pretty soon. Yeah. Um, I, I do like, you know, they're, they're really trying to make Ray into not a complete bad guy here, even though he's clearly into some nasty business and he's beating he's got principles up, yeah but he does have principles and you know he he's not he's not mean beyond reason but he also does he definitely has a commanding presence like he i don't know if he's the boss of the organization he works for but he's certainly the boss between him and this thug that's beating up dudes on his behalf like right. he speaks with authority and like not giving a fuck and this guy's clearly an underling yeah uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, I just realized, man, we're only like halfway through this. 
Um, so <laughs> shit, ne- yeah, it's we're fifty three minutes on the podcast. So, so yes. uh, Elliot's now that he's been awake for two days on Adderall, he looks freakishly happy, <laughs> and he's feeling great, man. I I thought him laughing was unsettling. <laughs> yes, yes. Every time that man smiles, I get creeped out. Uh, his life has turned into some kind of surreal video game, and he's strung out as fuck. But right. you know, he's happy because Mister Robot's gone. Mm-hmm. But then on day five without sleep, everything changes. People t- start talking backwards. He's zoned out. On day six, finally his kernel panic sets in. And, uh, yeah, he has a real rough go of it. So I noticed that they show that he has a steadily dwindling supply of Adderall. And yeah. then on day six, they flash. The first thing they show you is that little, you know, what do you call those? The Ziploc bag, the little drug pouches. Mm-hmm. The teenth teenth pouch uh, that that he's out he's out of Adderall. So are they implying that he could have kept going, but he's out of Adderall and 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 he can't do it or what? Uh, that's a good question. I I'm not sure because right. um, you know I I don't think it was the the Colonel Panic didn't set in necessarily because he's out of Adderall. So I, I don't really know where they were where they were going with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do really love the little things they do with like, you know, sound effects and the stairs that light up, making it feel like a video game almost. Yeah, it was, it, it was so awesome. Um, and the March of Elliot's, like all the different Elliot's are slightly out of yeah. sync in time. And it, it was it, literally the bloodshot eyes that they zoomed in and you actually see almost like burst blood vessels. Yeah. They're not just bloodshed, but he's actually made from either vomiting or the overall uh, the, the Adderall overdose <laughs> that he's actually burst blood vessels in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Yeah, and, and they've got, like, later on when it goes dark, uh, and you've got, like, artifacting visuals, which is really cool. Like, his hands start to pixelate. Yeah. Uh, and, and then Leon starts talking Which at first I was like, which... fucking Time Warner. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, right and then right. i realized oh oh it's 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 this is a deliberate effect <laughs> okay because every once in a while my you. shit will just do that it'll just start pixelating <laughs> yeah same here and you know i'm i'm in a an airbnb right now i don't know what the network's like i don't know what to expect so like right th- there's a scene later on where ray meets elliot with the journal and that has like a, a portion of it for me in my recording of it where it skips and it goes to black for a bit did that happen on your recording? I uh, how long of a bit? Like a second. I don't think so. Okay, because I didn't. May- I, I noticed the digital fit, but I didn't notice the other. Now maybe maybe I just I just didn't notice it, but um, maybe I didn't have. I don't certainly. I scrolling down. I certainly don't have that in my notes. Okay. Uh, if anybody else saw that, let me know because I feel like I'm going crazy at the moment, <laughs> trying to determine what's actual artifacting and what's part of the show. Are you actually talking to me on the phone right now, Jim? I, I don't know. How would I tell? <laughs> How would you tell? I talked to Mr. Robot sitting next to me. Right. You could be <laughs> dreaming right now. Uh, yeah, but so the backwards talking stuff, a lot of people on Reddit have you know picked that apart and said, oh, he's actually talking about a Seinfeld episode called The Betrayal, which that episode played in reverse when it was aired. So yeah, it was like a memento type of deal. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. I, I don't know if they're actually hinting at anything broader than just like this tongue-in-cheek did you see that someone slowed down and decoded a large part of what elliot was talking about in in super fast speed motion 
I did, but I I don't remember. I didn't write that down. All right, so here's what it the, the, these people did like some anal- they they did some kind of spectral stuff where they they took out the main narration, which sound was like very and it was very hard to understand until they cleaned it up. And I'm trusting that you know the Reddit sleuths did their job, which you know they they're pretty fucking good at this. They are. Um, Elliot says. At the most romantic time they've ever had in their lives. Two dreamers alone dreaming of dreams. Uh, okay, which one? See what that's like. Always wanted to go to, and then it's it's in, you, it's intelligible because you cannot hear it over mm-hmm. the main dialogue. And then it resumes and see what that's like. Go together and maybe in an isolated place. Have each other maybe. Hmm... Two okay. dreamers alone dreaming of dreams. That could be a reference to Elliot and his sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their shared dream of bringing this about. This could be um, a reference to maybe uh, Elliot and uh, Dom or Elliot and Mr. Robot, the two dreamers that are kind of, at, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. Um I don't know to what extent Sam Esmail expects people to decode this. At this point, after seeing Hacking Mr. Robot and, and reading some of the coverage this week, I feel like that these are all at least Easter eggs. Like, he intends you to decode this stuff and, you know, yeah. harness the power of the Internet to make these uncrackable puzzles crackable. And to what, to, 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 to what extent is actually pointing to something happening or their clues and to what extent it's just, you know, a nice little exercise, that's, that's what I don't know. Yeah, regardless, I think it's cool as shit. I, I oh, fuck yeah. Stuff. This was amazing. Um, the, the the way it starts off goofy and funny and, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the we talked about the sparkling dish and the slam dunk, woo! And <laughs> right. then, like, the shining children, and he's like, yep, this isn't good. Uh, no, you're not <laughs> buying any of this shit, are you? Right. And I'm now, not. <laughs> isn't, so I... What happens when a mat crashes? Is it true that there's like a swirling rainbow pattern? Yeah. The, okay. Like, like it's going on in his eyes. Okay. So yes. That's what I, because I don't have a Mac, but I think I've seen one crash and I remember it being like a pinwheel effect. And if that's what they're, you know, trying to show, they show the old school like Unix shell kind of uh, kernel yeah. dump. And then they were doing that to kind of, I guess. Yeah, so there's Mac-like. there's actually a lot of stuff in that. I don't know if you mind Reddit for this, but like this Who is Mr. Robot site that you were talking about earlier. Right. Um, if you dig deep enough in there, if you go into the terminal and there's a, an unlisted directory, the one that's not on the desktop. And Which you just find popped a, up last night. Right. And you can find a, a file in there called kernelpanic.log. And inside there, there's a reference to a, a, a virtual machine app called Zen. And apparently at the bottom of this kernel panic message, um, the, and I want, I want to give credit to Jayco81624 from Reddit for this thing. Cause he did all this, di- uh, all, all of this, uh, digging. Mm-hmm. He says that the kernel panic message says the kernel panic happens in Dom zero of Zen, mm-hmm. which is Dom zero would be the host operating system. So mm-hmm. if you want to, extrapolate on that i guess you could say he certainly thinks it proves that elliot is the real person in this show okay not mr robot not tyrell or anybody else dreaming of elliot it's actually elliot at the root of all this okay which i i don't know that i'm a hundred percent on board with like that as proof but it's certainly interesting 
Sure. Did you actually get see that? Because that that the thing that's in the file is the same stuff that's actually flashed on the show several times, and that is also copied into his uh, journal. Um, uh-huh. And he's also it's Zen spelled with a, an X, but also right. you know it's not hard to to find an association to the the concept and uh, of being Zen and Eastern philosophy. Uh, sure. Did you actually see the message decoded? Uh, are you talking about the hex code? Yeah. In there. Yes, I did. Okay. You want to share that with us too? Sure. Yeah. Um, within that, and I, I saw Tom Grooves on Reddit decoded this. He says it translates to uh, init decode sequence five down nine across skip tr- truncation question mark. So that's a uh, uh, on the surface level is a five nine reference, right? What it means, uh, anything else will uh you know be determined but so far it's it sure. just seems like a, a little easter egg pointing to the the five nine event again yeah for sure uh I, I don't know if if people are familiar with what a virtual machine is but it's basically uh a piece of software that allows you to run one operating system within another yeah um so it, it relates back to elliot in that you know he's an operating system kind of running mr robot and and later on when he actually in this scene where he's like talking about his panic how you know it's just kind of there now it's part of the system mm-hmm. it's not even burrowing in anymore or settling in as he calls it mm-hmm. uh so at some point you wonder where you know the virtual machine just becomes the host operating system right and that's the fact that like i, I feel like that this is a very grim realization that the assertion he made last week that you're i'm not going to go crazy you are it seems right. to imply that this this plan has backfired and you know that's the thing exactly like, I feel like this, it, it's this is what you see with people that try to self-medicate their mental problems is yes. that they cling to this thing and they think that they're you know there's new sensation and it's working but actually what they're doing is making it worse which you know if you're on the verge of a panic attack and you're in a manic depressive episode going 5 6 days without sleep not a great solution <laughs> but it right, seems but- like it would be a good solution in the yes. state in which you were in you know but, right, but you, and and they're not doing like people who are suffering from mental illness don't do these things for no reason. Right, right. There's certainly a mentality, like a, a certain line of reasoning behind it. It's just based on faulty information. Right. I mean, some people might wear tinfoil on their head. Some people might make a time machine out of cardboard and <laughs> you know dryer vents. And some people might uh, overdose on Adderall and stay awake for six days. It's right. But but you know it's it's definitely. I guess we should have seen this coming that he's got a legit mental illness and, and he's trying to go, you know, all natural and treating it, or I don't know what you'd call it. He's, he's, he's self-treating and diagnosing himself that it, that it wasn't going to work out well. And it doesn't look like it has. Right. Uh, and it makes me wonder also about Ray when they're, when they're doing all these different things with mental illness, because certainly I think that's a form of mental illness, talking to someone who you know isn't there. Sure. Um, it, it's, you know, maybe not as severe as Elliot's or as, as debilitating as Elliot's, but it, it's a mental illness within its own right, and he doesn't seem to be trying to avoid doing it. He just has given in to it. Yeah. As someone who catches himself talking to himself from time to time, uh, I will say that I've always wondered, like, huh, is this... Uh... Well, on a scale of completely sane to deranged, where does this uh, behavior <laughs> the uh, stack up? Right, and it's also interesting in that he kind of realizes it's a little bit insane. 
Sure. Uh, not not trying to use insane there is disparaging, but, uh, but... But it works for him, too. Right. And he doesn't feel like it's very harmful to him, so he continues with it. Which is funny, because that's essentially the exact same thing that Mr. Robot's doing with Adderall. It's just a different scale. And right. also, it's like, I feel like that everyone has little moments of in their life where they do kind of silly things to, to get them by or, or, or whatever. Um, sure. You know, that can be an episode that people recover from, or it could be the start of a crippling depression, a mental illness, and you just don't know until you go down that path. So it's interesting. Miss, maybe Ray, given another five years of agitation and, and unresolved issues with his wife, maybe he would go further up into this dialysis hole and, right. you know, Jack Nicholson would start talking to him. I don't yeah. know. All right, let's uh, move over to Angela. She's psyching herself up for a date with Philip, but when she arrives... Two of her colleagues are sitting with Philip. They introduce themselves, and Philip is asked to pay up front before settling in for the meal. So what? Okay, and true or false? Angela is preparing for a bone session. I think so. And true or false? She reads is disappointed when she comes up there, and this is just going to be a uh, uh, office meet and greet. Yep, I think so too. What? I don't. I don't know why. I don't well, know I what mean, it is. If, if we think that she's this double agent, and she's thought that like that she's got this guy, this great man's attention, and she's kind of you know steadily on her manipulation plat- platform. Like I don't feel like she's disappointed in the sense of like, oh my god, dear dear diary, Mister Price asked me for di- to dinner today. <laughs> sure, sure. My heart skipped three beats, and I've been uh, aglow ever since. I feel like it's more of like this was the next step in her plan right, and lost she- opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I thought this was like if if the opening was his Tarantino moment, this was uh, Sam Esmail's uh, Scorsese Goodfellas moment. Uh, you know, the single tracking shot of this person walking through a restaurant. Ah, yeah. You know, uh, what did you make of the, the him having to pay up front? And you I'm know, glad they did that because it it you know tracks with the kind of financial chaos that we think would be going on at this point and. Did you also notice that there are a lot of people outside that window, that restaurant protesting? protesting? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so is this to you? Because because you know we bemoaned last week a little bit about how we don't feel like there's re- realistic consequences that the world has faced. Right. Do you feel like this scene is going a long way towards dispelling that, or do you think it's doing just enough, or do you think it's still a little too too little? I, I think it's doing the bare minimum. Yeah, um, uh, so I, I don't. I don't. I still don't feel like maybe it's, not even the bare minimum. <laughs> okay, for uh, me. if you want to go there, it, like I'm glad they're at least keeping that thread alive and not yeah. just totally dropping it in favor of, you know, Elliot's uh, madness or Darlene and this this killing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also some other things we haven't talked about, like Ray when he's talking to his uh, dialysis machines, talking about how the flower industry is crashing because there's a problem with distribution because, you know, of money and they can't get the right. fresh flowers and they're wilting in the trucks. And also he says, plus with the allowance being $50 a day, who can afford flowers? Are, are, are they telling us that they like, you can only get $50 a day out of your ATM or what is this? Oh, or, or, maybe. Cause, Cause the $50 a day is like, is, is that like the government slow paying like Medicare and social security and stuff? Like, I wasn't well, that, sure what he meant by the word allowance. Like, is this a government dole kind of thing? Or is this like the banks are right. like, you can only get $50 a day out of your ATM kind of thing? Uh, that's a good question. I suppose it could be either. Um, I guess I like the reading of 
the government has instituted some policies to keep people financially solvent. Like putting whole food thing, on the table, yeah. Right. Because um, otherwise, it's just mass chaos, right? I can't eat. I'm going to start killing to eat. Right. So, and you also wonder, like, because I'm going to do some quick... Uh, um, 300 million people, give or take, getting $50 a day. Right. That's like $15 billion a day, if if that's the relief wow. program they're suggesting. Um, and I don't know if that's like head of household or every adult or every man, you know, if it's man, woman, and child, you'd have to add a couple, uh, another zero or so to that. But mm-hmm. um, man, if if that's what they're doing, if some kind of government dole situation, that's that's just country's hemorrhaging cash. It's drastic. And I mean, maybe it, you know, maybe it does paint a bleaker picture that we're, that's just kind of in the margins. But that's right preferable now. to the entire economy. Like, that's just showing the links they're going to keep this thing propped up. Right. Right. Which I like. Uh, okay, we're, we move on to uh, Dom. She's masturbating to this online chat, but she stops to ask Alexa when the end of the world is. Alexa says, eh, it's most likely several billion years from now when the sun goes supernova. Uh, when, the, which, when the red giants, when, when the earth is swallowed by a swollen red giant, is that an illusion to clitoris and orgasm? <laughs> or? You know, I, I had not <laughs> thought about it, but sure. I'll, I'll go down that road with you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, something about this exchange with her automated home system here prompts her to look at the list of names noticing that she's on it uh-huh uh, and i don't i don't know what's going through her head here do you have any well so i want to disagree i think she clearly noted that her name was on it when she showed up at the scene of the crime oh okay so this is like some I, but but i'm i share your puzzlement is that i don't know why she keeps coming back to it and i don't know how this is connected with the end of the world much less right but uh, other certainly than, like... we're all supposed to notice these things yeah, especially given the end of the world party, right? The flyer, like, is she is she worried about the problems being caused by F society here in in such a a big sort of societal way? Yeah, I don't know. Or like this existential crisis that she's having. Yeah, and I don't know. The other thing is like, uh, what are we supposed to what are we supposed to think about her demeanor and maybe her upbringing that she feels like? I, I read this like uh, after she finished with this guy. Uh, that she's having sex, cyber sex with, that mm-hmm. she felt kind of disgust. Um, okay. Or dis. I mean, what did you read? Like, you know, it's one of those things where, like, oh shit, you closed it after you're finished. You close the tab. Like, what the fuck did I just do? Or what the fuck did I just watch? Um, I wonder why she feels guilty about having cyber sex with a random, random stranger. I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess I didn't read as much guilt. What did you that, What did you read then? As I just read, like, eh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about like, the end of the world, right? Uh, that's the thing. Like, I don't know what prompted her to go look at that list again. Mm-hmm. Uh, with and to ask Alexa about the end of the world, it it, it seems weird. So Alexa, that's real life. Uh, Amazon's version of whatever Google yeah, it's calls Amazon Echo Siri. Yeah, it's it's the always on listening device, mm-hmm. which is kind of. Uh, you know, big brotherish as well. The fact that sure. you've got this machine that's always on and analyzing what you're saying to it and sending it to a third party server and breaking it down and trying to guess what you want—that's right. Creepy in, in certain certain contexts. You think there's any chance that uh, this Amazon Echo may somehow be the target of hacking? 
Of course. Of because course. we already saw that happen to, to Susan Jacobs last episode, right? Right. Which, you know, and I'm like wondering what she's actually keeping in her safes because if, to me, yeah. it's, it shows like some kind of firewall that she's got, like, you know, a physical, like, a, 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 something in something in those things are, um, I don't know, very secret and either important to her, her investigations, and she's protecting that. And I don't know, maybe this Alex, uh, uh, Alex, or Alexa. Hey, this yeah. Alexa, Alexa thing is going to be uh, some vector. You know, we saw something as innocent sure. as a watch being used to hack <laughs> bef- in the previous episode. So, uh, The one other thing I noticed in this, the person she's talking to on chat there uh, is named Happy Heart on Henry. Yeah. And it's it's this is not my insight. This is a Reddit user. Uh, apparently linked that to a Christian Slater movie, Pump Up the Volume where he plays a character, a uh, radio DJ, who goes by the name Happy Harry Hardon. Huh. So it might actually be just a sly wink to that feels a like a, role. That feels like a, more of a sly wink than a clue. Yeah, it's just an Easter egg, but I thought it was cool. Nice. Uh, so we go to Elliot in a group session worrying about Mr. Robot coming back, and this guy tells a story about beating up an Indian store clerk and how God forgave him. When attention turns to Elliot, he goes on what he thinks is an internal tirade against organized religion, which he accidentally ends up saying out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of good stuff in this scene. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you had a problem with the, the larger message of this. Yes. Well, no, not the larger message. Cause I broadly agree with it, okay. but it's one, it's one of those things where it's just so over the top and like preaching to the choir that it comes, it, it <laughs> comes off as pandering. Like it, and, right. and, you know, I know that we had these discussions when we were talking about season one of True Detective. Like, I was eating up everything that Russ was spitting up. And you were like, okay, a fuck enough already. Like, sure. lay off the NyQuil. Stop the LSD. <laughs> and and I feel like that's kind of where I'm getting with some of this stuff. But then I read a bunch of analysis where people are digging in. And, like, if you if you look at this in the context of his conversation with Mr. Robot last year, where Mr. Robot said... I was supposed to be your prophet. You were supposed to be my God. Mm-hmm. So that all of this stuff that Elliot is bitching about God, I think Elliot could apply to himself, that Elliot yeah. is supposed to be taking care of his F society members. Elliot is supposed to be their leader. And Elliot, has, he's, uh, he's God that, that you know has shrugged and is like, eh, whatever, at this point. Right. And he's not looking after his people. Now I'm like, okay, that scene, I like that scene a lot more. Like, but but sure. my first visceral reaction was like, oh my god, I'm watching some dude masturbate, and it just went on for forever. And I don't. That's what I'm saying. Like, right? I wonder what this episode looks like with about five minutes taken from it, because the similar <laughs> thing, this Angela and the scene with Philip that just goes on forever, mm-hmm. and it just it crosses the line from arty to indulgent, and at least in my opinion, sure, um, sure. I, I come around on Elliot's rant about religion, but the price and and the uh, Angela scene we're about to tear into that still comes across as like no matter how you cut it, like I don't need that. I don't know that that scene need to be like seven minutes long or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I do like the final line. Fuck God, he's not a good enough scapegoat for me. Right, uh, pretty good. And also Which, maybe also and you know the other thing as I thought about um, how. And and this is probably all stuff that people talked about last year when we weren't covering it. But the fact that Gideon, you know, is a very biblical allusion oh, sure. um, to this judge of Israel who helped the Israelites destroy the superior army. 
um, by largely, uh, and the Lord wanted to make sure that uh, the people knew that he saved them and not Gideon, so he made Gideon winnow his forces down towards just, it's already a, a, a tough fight, but it's 300 mm-hmm. against like 35,000. Yeah. And he did this weird subterfuge where, you know, he had them all go in the night and he had lit torches and jars of clay. And they all at the, some point shouted out and broke the jars and it, it made the guys so afraid they ran off. Mm-hmm. Um, there is it's a lot of this, this allusions to Elliot being God and the fact that Gideon, I, I don't I don't know how because Gideon, you know, was a hero and uh, he ended up uh, winning the day and being the judge of Israel for like 50 years and Israel prospered under it. That's certainly not happened with the show Gideon. Sure. Um, but I do feel like that name is intentional. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly what it's saying. I mean, I feel like if we had been really on that theory during season one, we might be able to glean a little bit more. The other thing, and this is something that I've kind of come up with myself, is I interpret this as the exact moment where Mr. Robot reasserts control. Because this is another instance of, like, you know, Mr. Robot getting up and, and, and making fun of a guy and getting punched or, like, slitting um, right. uh, 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 Gideon's throat. Um, this is a situation where Mr. Robot did, or Elliot did something that he is not want to do, which is let his internal speechifying be audible. And then, then he throws away his journal. Right. Which is what Mr. Robot has been wanting him to do all this this whole time, and is a huge security breach. And get this, it's what directly gets him back involved in the hacking game. If right. you say that Ray wants him, as we know, to help with the server. So, right? like the subtext of Mr. Robot, you know, being disappointed that Elliot has refused to be his god, and now he's reasserted control. Like I feel like the scene works a lot better as the subtext than it does as its text. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that 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 was pretty cool. Do love the line. I want to cry, but I'm so high that I can't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, and uh, like when when she's like, Elliot, would you like to share?" She, he's like, "Nah, man, my system's hung," or whatever he said. A <laughs> uh, lot of a lot of funny stuff in this, but I thought the, the, even the setup with this guy, like the fact that he's beat up this Indian guy and he turned it into a profound thing for him. Right. Like, did you go back and like face charges? Did you pay for this guy's medical bills? Did you go? Like, any of the other Christian things are just, like, you're good with Jesus and that's okay for you. Like, I, I felt like right. it was a little bit, you know, as an atheist, mm-hmm. in my capacity of speaking as an atheist, uh, I felt like it was a little <laughs> over-the-top anti-religion. Yeah, and, I mean, maybe it lends a little bit of credence to the prison theory once again, right? If this guy beats a man and goes to jail and now he's in this group yeah, therapy session. Sure. Could be. A little bit, uh, yep. You know the person whose story I really want to know? What's I want to know what Steven Tyler is doing wearing a slash hat in this group. Because, my God, the guy sitting next to Elliot. I didn't notice. Oh, wow. You should you should go check that out. <laughs> All right. I will do. Anyway, din- dinner's over. Angela's colleagues leave, and Philip asks if she enjoyed the company and explains, you know, how good these men are, that we do toys for tots or whatever, and they're great people. And she did. She had a good time. She liked them. Uh, then Philip drops the bombshell on her that they were both in the room when Colby made the decision to cover up the leak in her hometown. Uh, when Basically, all of them did. Um, and also, they've been involved in insider trading, and then Philip gives her a CD with the evidence of their crimes on it. She's confused by this, and she tells Philip, I, I don't trust whatever you're doing. And he tells her to remove emotion from her decisions. 
now, if she does that, does she become more like Elliot? Does she become numb? Because that's how I feel uh, Elliot is a lot of the time. Very numb. Well, and also, like, would you say Philip is... I, I, I mean, I would disagree that Philip has removed emotions from his process. This thing he's doing with Angela feels very emotionally driven. Yeah, he keeps dancing around that, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he invites her to this thing where he's driving a... Uh, you know, essentially driving his point home, but then he excuses the guys, and it's like I felt very felt felt very clear that it's like, uh, yeah, I, I want to bone this uh, person that works for me now, so you guys are dismissed. And then right. then he just offers this thing about, so I think that's what Angela was thinking too. He's like, oh, we're going to get back to the original plan, and she kind of perks up, but then he's like, oh, these are the scumbags that you were laughing at and thought they were charming, and they're the ones that killed your dad too. Here's yeah. the information destroyment, and that was it. And then. She like calls bullshit, and then he comes back and like gets right up in her personal space and is all whispering. Um, I don't I think. Mean, it, doesn't it all feel to you like just an elaborate way to trick her into uh, becoming part of this organization? Like, like the fact that like you you want to get justice, you can take these guys down. But mm-hmm. also know that it will benefit the company because these guys are insider trading, and right. they're a liability. But, but also, you're like scooping out a bad element of E Corp, right? Like, you can do some damage to the this beast that you say you don't like. But it and maybe be there's damaged. good parts. Of I don't know. Because here's the other thing: is like if you look at some of the illusions, and this is where like I felt like this scene was too much on a lot of levels. But uh, first, there's the reference to Rosencrantz and Gilderstern. Um, mm-hmm. Which I thought that's weird because that's so that's if you don't know those are uh, Hamlet's childhood friends that uh, the king calls on to kind of talk Hamlet out of his suspicion and paranoia, um, and they fail because they're false friends and, and Hamlet sees through them. Um, so that's like you know pretty on the nose. But he their names are Jim and Saul, which I thought was interesting because Jim could be a reference you know is the nickname for James. Uh, mm-hmm. And Saul uh, was the name of the Apostle Paul before he was enlightened. That was huh. his name when he was uh, uh, a Jewish persecuting the Christian brothers, and he got struck right. by Christ on the road to Antioch, was it? I don't uh, know what road. Whatever. His, but, <laughs> but yeah, the, the Christ struck him blind, and he was led to one of his disciples, and he converted. And then yep. became like kind of the 13th Apostle. James was one of, I believe, Jesus' brothers who became one of the Apostles. And then, you know, Philip introduces himself as master of the universe. Right. Uh, what's the mis- what's the mis- <laughs> Yeah, what's the Mr. Robot Pantheon looking like nowadays? Like, I, to I me, don't know, man. He's opposed to Elliot. So, like, he would be more of a satanic role, but they're giving his acolytes names of the apostles of Christ. So what the fuck? What, what, where? Sure. I mean, th- this, this, this stuff just feels like they're piling on these literary and biblical illusions just, just for grins, which I guess is and okay, but it's frustrating when you're trying to figure out what the story is all about. Right. But, but it's also interesting here, I think, personally, that this CD, if it were to be turned in, if these people were to be found guilty of uh, insider trading, I think that would hurt confidence in E-Corp, and we know that Philip doesn't want less confidence. He wants more confidence. Right, so why would he... So why give her this evidence? What does he expect of her is it in a this test? situation? Like, it, it absolutely is like, a test. Like, because I, I, when, I, when, I when I first watched this, it's like, 
Philip, if, if Philip was offered this information, he would use it in a way to rant, to blackmail these powerful men in a corporation and get more personal power. Okay. Angela is still a low-level executive at best. She's yeah. an up-and-comer, but these guys have a lot more, like, they're senior vice presidents, and I forget what the other guys think, but they're very high in the company. She now has leverage over them that she can use to get more power over them and their departments in the company. So he's pushing her up the ladder? He's essentially like, well, or it's a test. Like, hey, if you're still this, if you're still on the inside, this is a pretty good payout. You've essentially right. taken down half of the people responsible for your fathers, but you're exactly. also letting me go. Because ultimately, you know, the buck stops here, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. he's shedding crocodile tears about Gideon and her father this whole episode. Right. Um, but I felt like this is a test. Like, you know, if, if you I'm, – I'm giving you a gun that you can use to really hurt the company and get revenge on some of these guys, but it's not – or you can do what I would do with it. it I don't know. It's kind of, I guess, testing her true character. Mm-hmm. That's how I read it. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Um now, clearly, he has an idea of who she is, right? Because, or, or certainly he thinks that she is the kind of person who won't turn these people in and will actually use this, because I don't think that would look good for E-Corp. Yeah, but it wouldn't be fatal. Executives, right? but, executives but, get convicted of insider trading all the time. Well, one pancake won't fill you up, but you start stacking them up, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it eventually yeah. becomes sure. a fatal dose of pancakes. So sure. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like... He wouldn't want to add to that fire necessarily, um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Suggesting he's going to go into maple panic? <laughs> he might. He might. <laughs> Full maple panic. Uh, mm. All right, let's move over to Ray bringing Elliot his journal uh, that he threw out, and he says he gets it. Now, I don't know how he got a hold of this journal. He said his, uh, the chaplain's an old friend of mine, which honestly okay. raises as many questions as it answers. Okay. Sure. You, like, uh, I guess okay, it, how would he know that you and this guy were connected? And why would a chaplain be a friend of an old cyber criminal? And, you know. Yeah. Who runs like a flower delivery front or something. Right. Like you see this notepad that's covered in craziness. And it's like, oh, you know what? Ray might be interested in this. <laughs> right. I, uh, maybe there's stuff about hacking. Maybe the the chaplain's involved. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he, he tells this story of talking to his dead wife which uh, seems to resonate with Elliot. Uh, This is the scene I was talking about earlier where there was a glitch. I don't know if that was intentional or the cable cut out, but if you could let me know, that'd be great. Well, I mean, if if it was, I would imagine it was intentional because he's the whole, just his argument is we're more alike than you think. Yeah. And and it's clear that he's using this as a way to get to Elliot's technical prowess. Right. So and, and also last episode, Mr. Robot framed this as helping a man and get backing and doing what we do, which, you know, uh Elliot was introduced as like this heroic hacking figure. Like he was yeah. uh, this white knight figure, uh strike hacking for good. So even though it seems like he's a criminal or involved in criminal, like I ultimately think that whatever Ray's doing here is sympathetic because as you said, he's got principles and you know, he's not just like, uh, you know, he's not a Hollywood villain who'd be like, torture him anyway, you know? Right. But he is certainly exploiting the weaknesses that he sees the opportunities to, to get into Elliot's life. Sure. Uh, even if maybe he's not trying to hurt him or, or, or if he does have some kind of sympathy for him, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Dominic going to Romero's mom's house. 
uh, she you know knocks on the door, gets in because she knows how to roll a, a mean joint. Yeah, she does the same strategy <laughs> Corey Stoll employs in House of Cards, like the rolling <laughs> right. the fatty. I can't be, I can't be the man. Look how the fat joints I roll. <laughs> Yeah, mama needs her joints, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, her it's, joints it's are bad. It's police until they're rolling her joints for her. Yeah, bad jo- <laughs> you need good joints to combat bad joints. You got <laughs> arthritis right. in your fingers, those are some bad joints. You need some good joints. Yeah, really love this scene. Just the way she revels in that first puff, too. Yeah. It's, it's real good. You know, not quite as good as Leslie's joints. Not as, right. as fat, but... Uh, anyway, so she asked a few questions about Leslie, who is Romero. It's his first name. And he finds out about a chubby friend of his that visited and how mm-hmm. Romero was helping her pack her things for a move. And when Dominic goes to get her a glass of water, she notices that the papers her glasses are wrapped in have code on them. And upon searching further, she finds a flyer for the end of the world party. Which, you know, it's in light of last week where Darlene is destroying cell phones. I just can't. I just want to note what a massive breach of security this is to pass out flyers for your headquarters that you're inviting the general public to uh to mm-hmm. use those as packing materials and like snippets of code also, from who, the program what like like is, did what he, coder did, prints out code really i've I never know. seen that i know like i mean uh yeah 20 I, years in in development and i have never seen someone print code ever sure. i've seen like i mean people print out i, I no, yeah it's 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 pretty unbelievable and the fact that he would use like like are is this going to be the encryption code like i the, the, don't know the, he printed out the fucking key it, in it plain might text just, this is it gonna might bust not it wide be. open it might just be some random bullshit code that doesn't have anything to do with it but it led her to the end of the world party flyer well and they they, they also established in the beginning of the episode how impossible this place is to find it's like off the grid and outside yeah. public notice and like you, you know why set up the air? Why I I don't understand the point of setting up something to be so secure and then compromise it with stupid internal security. The same episode. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like if it was if they're Darlene setting this up right. to be like, I was thinking like, well, this is going to be her season arc. She's going to have to piece all this stuff together and get closer yeah. and closer. And that nope, nope. Actually, season three, she's going to find out their headquarters. And now what? Yeah. So. I think Darlene was kind of right about Romero. He did seem to be a, a liability, you know, if if not because he's got this drug operation, then maybe because he's a hacker who prints out code, uh, you know, ultimately it leads her to their hideout, their headquarters, which, yeah. you know, they've, they've pretty much slashed and burned at this point. It's not like she's going to get much from that. But what she does get is well, DJ shit, if she, could, if she could get this flyer from wrapped around the glass, then right. I don't know. Like how many right. goddamn thumb drives did they that did they leave behind that has their yeah. fucking Facebook f- profiles and <laughs> their social security numbers? Uh, Turns out Romero well, carved his social security number in and underneath the desk. Just that's that's what he does, <laughs> right? And there's a flash drive under the skee ball machine. <laughs> uh, no, so the one the one concrete piece of evidence I do feel like she has at this point is DJ Mobley on the flyer so if she can maybe track down who dj mobley is i just did a show i did a show for a thing yeah maybe. i got one leg what how could i possibly hack <laughs> uh right you need your legs to hack uh okay let's move on to the final scene Don here will be like maybe that's how you became it. you got your leg hacked off and your only recourse is become a hacker oh god <laughs> 
Uh, so Elliot says he keeps this journal in order to control his life. He's talking to Ray here. Ray tells him uh, his wife died, even though she did everything exactly right, essentially espousing this control as an illusion philosophy. Uh, Ray gets a little too personal with his questions about the journal and Mr. Robot, and then Elliot gets up to leave. Uh, but Ray invites him back to play some chess, which he does come back. And uh, when Ray gets up, Mr. Robot's standing there staring at Elliot, and Elliot narrates kind of about the nature of life and control uh, and sort of the troubleshooting methodology for, for coding. Uh, as Dominique finds the location of the end of the world party, the F society headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, <laughs> so when Ray goes into his like control is an illusion controls, like a one legged unicorn taking a leak at the end of a double rainbow. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Elliot's so strung out. He's probably feeling you. Right. He's probably like, yeah, man. You yeah, he is. Isn't it? <laughs> The horse can piss like no one's business. <laughs> right. And I'm the pot of gold. Yeah. Uh, right. So I, I don't know. I found the... So jumping from something which I think is a complete absurdity within hacking, which is printing code, to something which I think makes a ton of sense, which is kind of life as this methodology, uh, this this troubleshooting methodology, right? Where you set a breakpoint, you find the bug, you fix it, you move on until you find the next one. Uh, and and you hope to at some point reach something that is basically a bug free program or a bug free life. Right, and that's what like if you don't know breakpoints are places in the program where you think there's you think there's you know there's a problem and you kind of suspect that it's in this patch of code, so you start putting breakpoints where you can step through, and when the program goes down that that uh, subroutine or whatever. Uh, method or function that you can say like stop here and then the program will stop and you can actually look at its inputs and everything that it's holding in its memory and all of its current settings and be and, and compare it to what it you would expect and then if mm-hmm. it's going through a loop you can iterate through it and it's like okay is everything happening it, it's a way to slow down the execution of the program to see exactly when things are going haywire and then the appropriate yeah. response is to either fix that bug or if that is an error condition that can happen in your code to write some error handling around it so it's no longer a fatal error so yeah. there is a lot of interesting like maybe this is elliot's per- personal growth it's like you know i don't have to force a kernel panic where my whole system dumps maybe i can identify the things that are causing my life to go sideways and uh write you know, I'm, I'm using his uh, terminology, but essentially write code around it so they're no longer fatal errors. They're hand, they're, they become handled expect, uh, exceptions. Right. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, it's just weird that it comes off the back of printing code. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Romeo Romero is old school, I guess. I guess so. Uh, so we talked a little bit about, you know, what she might find at the arcade and this DJ Mobley thing. Uh, anything else you want to want to talk about in this final scene, or should we go move on to feedback? Probably should move on to feedback, I'd say. But before we get back to feedback, uh, I want to take a brief time out to advertise a club at club.baldmove.com. Why is the club important? The club's important because Jim and I could not offer the breadth and depth of coverage that we could without it. Uh, before we started doing Bald Move full time, uh, we were able to do one show at a time, three, four shows a year. Uh, certainly wouldn't have time to do Mr. Robot, wouldn't have time to do three Game of Thrones podcasts a week, 
wouldn't be able to do the leftovers, you'd probably still get the Walking Dead. So if you're a Walking Dead fan, maybe you can just like, eh, you know, whatever. Whistle whistle right past the Club Bald Move graveyard. But if you value, you know, some of our smaller shows, the leftovers, uh, Fargo, uh, Better Call Saul, what have you, and you want to get extra content, that's the other thing is uh, – you know, you're missing out on lunches with Jim and Aaron. You're missing out on our quips, our quit your pitching sessions. You're missing out on the various other extra bonus content that we do on a weekly basis for our club members. And also, you don't have to be nagged by these ads uh, each week because you have ad-free feeds and uh, and and uh, compendium feeds or anthology feeds. So, so, like, I know some of you have subscribed to like seven different Ball Move podcasts. You can stop all that nonsense. Just get the ad-free feeds. Got all of the podcasts in it for your convenience. Uh, it's real simple. Go to club.ballmove.com. It's as little as a buck a month to get all these fantastic features. Uh, if you don't want to sign up for any kind of commitment or you're just not all about the clubs, you're too cool for the clubs, then you can always do Amazon. Use our Amazon affiliate link, and it's super easy to do that too. Just use amazon.baldmove.com. Anytime you'd be tempted to put in amazon.com, throw in the bald move in between the, the M and the dot com. Amazon.baldmove.com. Everything that you buy in that instance, we get a teeny tiny cut of it. It's not an upcharge. It's not a surcharge. It's not a bald charge. It's just free money that you can give to us for referring you to Amazon. And we appreciate all those that support us. Thank you. Okay, if you'd like to send feedback, once again, it's robot at baldmove.com. No mister, no dots, just robot at baldmove.com or forums.baldmove.com where we have a uh, a thread that we have each week for the show. And you can uh, talk with your fellow fans there and share theories and whatnot. First up is Chris E. said, in the flashback scene to this is, so as is our want, a lot of these first ones are for last week's episode. Uh, Chrissy says in the flashback to the doctor scene, Elliot's father was hiding his disease and refusing treatment. Thus the no bills reference. The reason he pushed Elliot out the window was for revealing his secret to his mother. So this is all happening the same day and he is explaining that he's not doing treatment. Um, right. so that the, I was, sense. I was looking at that. It's like, what does he mean? There'll be no bills. Like I was thinking he was talking about the current situation with the son, not his yeah. cancer treatment. So that, that all tracks, um, do you think, based on what we saw of Mr. Robot, well, saw of Christian Slater and his relationship, uh, his father's relationship with Elliot, um, do you think that this cancer was causing him to act, like, like did he have some kind of brain tumor that was causing him to act in um, extreme ways? Because it doesn't seem like the guy who lets his kid off the hook for stealing $20 would be the kind of guy that would shove your kid out the window because he let slip to your mom to, to his wife that he's he's got cancer i i get what you're saying i want to say that it was lung related cancer though did, did they say like so does he, does he also have some kind of mental illness that he's passed on to me because again like that's just crazy shit like you right. don't shove your kid out the window for anything really sure sure uh i, I don't know people find out they're dying they do crazy things example yeah. point breaking bad yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and you know, no doubt, no doubt. So I, I'm not sure. I thought it was lung related, his disease. Yeah, I was just always, I was always trying to find a way to let the Christian Slater character off the hook for that crime. You know, okay, sure, yeah. That, that like, there's more to the story. That Elliot threw himself out of the window, or 
mm-hmm. something. Um, but it just doesn't seem. Maybe it's it's, it's a, or or like okay, even if there's no other explanation that maybe the he's suffering from some of the same problems that is causing Mister Robot to be vi- or, or that is causing Elliot to be violent and that. You know, because that would be like this thing that his father's passed on to him would kind of fit into a code. Like this, this is uh, mm-hmm. you know, Elliot's a, a, a fork of the co- of of the <laughs> right. of the, his father's you know code base, where it's merged with half of his mother's, and but the, he's still got these crazy subroutines that are running in there, uh-huh. literally crazy subroutines. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Um, he also says, as a general thought, I don't think that all access to money is gone. Records have been encrypted for now, but it appears as if banks are still at least operational and people are seen shopping, etc. They're injured but not dead, as Darlene points out. I don't think wiping all the dead is necessarily equal to blowing up the entire financial system. It would be an evil corpse's best interest to let people continue to have access to cash and to spend money. In fact, you know, as we pointed out, there's illusions of this in this episode, this $50 allowance. Um, yeah. But I do disagree. Like, if you don't think that wiping out all debt would end up in the destruction of the financial system, like, I I, I don't I mean... It's like throwing a monkey wrench into gears, right? I mean, it's, well, it's going to lock you think, everything up. Where do you think banks the, get their capital? And we know right. from what happened just five years ago that it's not uncommon for banks to be leveraged eight, right. ten, twelve times, which means for every dollar that they have in their accounts... They've loaned that dollar out twelve times, yeah, so borrowing take, money from the treasury to make up for it. So t- take your savings account, you know, divide it by eight, and say that's how much money you'd have access to in this right. Or situation. one out of twelve people will be able to get right. the money. That's another yep. way to look at it. Like I removing and and again, if it's all debt, that is just that's just such a huge side of this. Uh, of the slate because it'd be one thing if it's like a one-to-one economy like well for every dollar we've got saved and that's a dollar that's invested it's not it's like a 12 to 1 economy or an 8 to 1 a 6 to 1 you know whatever it is there's there's more of the debt than there is the 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 money that that we actually have to 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 spend so Mm -hmm. uh i don't know i'm not an economist though that's just my understanding of it anything else or should we move on uh let's move on Angharad W, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, so there's pretty much always cops stationed in the vicinity of the bull on Bowling Green. She's talking about the Wall Street ah. bull. Yeah, uh, It's right in the heart of the financial sector in a really huge terrorist area. Mm-hmm. Or not terrorist, tourist area. <laughs> oh, God. Why would they put it there? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, New York City. It's, it's, it just attracts them. Um, and lots of people get photographed with bulls, so they're stationed there in case there's any problems. Um, as to your point about how setting the cash on fire could have been a great end to the first episode, you missed the point that this show really leans heavily on their cold opens. I'm personally of the opinion that no show, with the possible exception of Fargo, does better with cold opens. Um, which is a fair point that, you know, yeah, it'd been an awesome ending, but maybe they like to bang up, uh, like maybe sit you, sit you up, sit you, your God, can I talk? Can I just get a word out? <laughs> maybe the, you have your, the cold opening makes you sit up a little straighter in your couch. That's more right. of their philosophy. Whereas yeah. the finale is a tease for next week more, more than it is, uh, like an amazing moment. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Regardless, I think it was smart to air those back to back. Uh, she also says the people at the head of E-Corp meets with are actual people, They're although portrayed by actors. Janet Yellen, chair of the Federal Reserve, Mary Jo White, head of the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, and Jack Lew, Treasury Secretary. So huh. those people are all allusions to real-life people in the uh, financial sectors of the government. 
It's a nice little detail. Yeah, cool. I don't know why you wouldn't. I guess you're living in a world there's where Obama's giving speech, so they're they're really yeah. tying that to the real world. How surreal would have been if they'd gotten the real people? <laughs> uh, pretty surreal. Yeah. Um, Michael A., uh, which, by the way, um, he has a column on Medium.com called An Eccentric Life. And I noticed that he, he, he reached out to us a couple weeks ago and said that he's going to be writing and he wanted to talk about uh, some points in our podcast. And we're like, sure, you know, whatever, knock yourself out. Uh, but then it was weird because I was reading an article that someone forwarded to me an email and he was referencing the Bald Move podcast. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I went to this thing and then then I saw his name in my inbox. I'm like, oh, shit, it all came together. Um, but that's that's always weird. Like I'm just reading and suddenly Bald Move. Uh, anyway, Michael, uh, go to medium.com and eccentric life if you want to see he's because he's got like essentially, um, you know, an article that points out a few dozen things that, you know, that you might have missed with screenshots and stuff. So he does a lot of same we- stuff we do only in the column form. Uh, said, I'm wondering if you guys could discuss in the feedback section about possible meanings for this. I'm, um, and he, he, he shows the cover to Elliot's journal and it says red wheelbarrow on it. Uh, he right. looked it up and the red wheelbarrow is a poem by William Carlos Williams. Uh, and it contains the few lines below and he included it all. So the poem goes, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rain water beside the white chickens. That's the poem. <laughs> All right. So I did some research because I was like, fuck, I didn't even know this was a thing. So now I'm being asked about it. And I came across an article that s- several poets um, and English scholars were talking about the meaning of the poem and the fact that this is like, on each each thing, like so much depends, and it's a new line upon a red, uh, you know, another line, a red wheel, and then new line barrow. And they say that a lot of the utility of this poem is in its structure, um, and that like you know, if it was just four lines, it wouldn't be as special. But it's just like really crisp picture of this real, and it's the way it's structured is requiring you to think of each thing and i thought that like that jogged my mind that elliot talks about that his structure and his routine are what makes his life work that this poem works because of its structure that i think that that's the analogy that they're trying to go there for but that i mean that's that's a really tenuous thing for for me um you know i don't white chickens and rain glaze (laughs) I, i i don't i don't know I don't know what that means either. Uh, it sounds like a, a Bush lyric to me. Uh, but yeah, let me go down a road. So a road you might not like with this. So much depends upon. <laughs> you, say Be- you said Beck, right? No, Bush. Oh, Bush. shit. It, no, it could I also be Beck. I went Beck. Yeah, it could be Beck just as easily. Uh, let me go down a road here on this, which I think is going to be a little bit crazy. Okay. Uh, I'm... I'm wondering how much... So we know that Elliot has tried to exert control over his life with this routine, right? Yes. Uh, Mr. Robot keeps saying, control is an illusion. You can't do it. Uh, Red Wheelbarrow is, you said, written on the cover of his journal? Yes. Uh, The Red Wheelbarrow shows up in this episode, right? What? They mix the cement in it, Oh, shit, you're right. And they pour that down his throat. And we know that that is, in fact, Mr. Robot getting him back on track, fucking with him. Yeah. Uh, 
is it possible that Mr. Robot is controlling basically everything here in an effort to to bring Elliot around to his side from from the, even the mere fact that he is journaling because you know he he called uh Mr. Robot his god earlier well he's in this group therapy session journaling for it right yeah so i'm i'm putting the pieces together here trying to make connections to say maybe Mr. Robot is the the cause of him journaling it's the cause of him overdosing it's the cause of of all of this stuff hmm like he could be pulling the strings basically from the beginning here without us or Elliot knowing. Well, another thing way you could look at that is that so I guess there's two ways to look at that. Number 1, Elliot is riding the red wheelbarrow for some reason because it it makes him think of structure and that these are elements that Mr. Robot's able to pull from Elliot's because he's only can work with the constructs that are included in Elliot's mind. Okay. Or it's as you're saying, and Mr. Robot's fucking with him in some subconscious way. Elliot is aware of this, and he calls his journal the Red Wheelbarrow, mm-hmm. out of uh, out of like this intern, not like a, you wouldn't say an homage, but as an unconscious kind of tick that shows yeah. that he's you know because you know he is Mr. Robot as well as as, as Elliot. So sure, yeah, you're right. That is crazy. <laughs> Okay, good. Uh, moving on, the Rick F says we talked about the low ratings the show got, the kind of like discouragingly low ratings. Um, and mm-hmm. I haven't got an update this week about like you know what were the plus three and plus five days and all that stuff. But Rick has a theory. The reason for the low ratings is simple: the USA Network is not part of the top two hundred and fifty package with Directv or Dish Network, and most people are not going to upgrade their programming for just one good show and twenty more bullshit channels. USA Network needs to get in the top programming package which might be their plan for Mr. Robot. Like, they don't necessarily care what ratings it gets. They're just wanting a lot of people to call and demand that they get USA Group and the basic channel so that they get more money and can do more shows like Mr. Robot. Yeah, seems like a pretty good strategy. Yeah, I mean, if you you want to stand out on basic basic cable, yeah. Yeah. Um, So good theory there, Rick. Michelle L. says, I don't follow this show obsessively, so this may have been noted elsewhere, but in flashbacks, young Elliot has dark brown eyes. However, adult Elliot has blue eyes, his most striking feature. The actor playing young Elliot could have been made to wear contacts if they couldn't find a suitable swarthy teen with light eyes. Does this speak to the veracity of the memory? Oh, boy. Which young Elliot is she talking about? Because I think there are multiple young Elliots. The one in the doctor's office, I assume, since this was for this was was, and and the thing is, I've heard like for example, Amelia Clark was supposed to wear purple contacts in oh right Game of Thrones because that's one of the Targaryen features. They have these silver blonde hair and purple eyes, but the. Uh, actor complained that it was hard to, you know, it was distracting and it was hard to emote and they weren't getting the performances. Um, so they're just like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, slavish accuracy to the book is not as important as her crushing her scenes. Mm-hmm. I noticed that that young actor, I thought, did a lot of really subtle things and being like, you know, um, a young Elliot. And it could be that they wanted to, him to wear uh, contacts. And they tried it out, and he just couldn't emote as well, and it was distracting from his performance. Or, as you said, this could be something that we're supposed to notice in the meta and understand that this is some kind of fakey, uh, embedded memory or or distorted memory. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I'm. so I was reading around on Reddit, and somebody brought up the question, how old is Darlene? How old is Elliot? 
and what are their age gaps? Because in a lot of the the evidence we see, it's contradictory. Mm. Now, I'm I'm I How and so? a lot of other people. Well, like for instance, there's a picture of of the family on the beach, and Elliot and uh, Darlene seem to be about two years difference. And then if you go to you know, and, and I'm going to explain this in a second, but if you go to like the New York Times or New York Times, the uh, Times Square scenes, Elliot is the only kid there and it's maybe his mother is pregnant, but Elliot's still the same age. So in that huh. scene, I think it it's Elliot, you know, bending his memories to his own will or whatever. OK, uh, just distorted memories. Or maybe it's possible that Elliot at the point where he was pushed out this window or his dad died or both has kind of frozen himself in time there. And regardless of the other things he's thinking about with his family, he's always this age. Yeah. That's a good point because we know that that, you know, Elliot restaged his being thrown out the window with his figment of his imagination father at the pier. Yeah. At that, at Coney, uh, Coney Island is where that's supposed to be taking place, right? The boardwalk there. Sure. So, that's definitely a, a crucial moment in his life. That's uh, right, and I feel like maybe he he has cemented himself in both, you know, modern time and also that one moment. Uh, but I, I don't know what that what that speaks to as far as the eyes. I was just you know talking about another thing. I right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, not sure. It, it could you know, and that's the thing with this show. It's like you know, what's a con- continuity error? What is a choice based on production? And what is meta information that we are? It's vital for us to notice. Right, hard to tell. Uh, Josh from Philly says, um, "Just want to tag you uh, on that your mention of the song in the beginning from the premiere uh, Daydreaming by Lupe Fiasco." Did you know that aside from just the name of the song being cool to the show, the song is actually about Lupe living in a giant robot? The first lyrics are, as I spy from behind my giant robot's eyes. Just thought that was a cool (laughs) tag. Um, Yeah, so I actually looked up the lyrics, and the whole first verse is him using this vehicle, and it's on the album cover, too, of him in this like 40-story robot navigating the world and trying to keep it from stepping hmm. on women and children, and, and the, but he's scared of heights, and the, the, the view is dizzying, and, you know, that it's a, it's a man inside this robot construct. I, you know, yeah. that's, I don't know that there's in a, anything really meta there, except for that's, that's a pretty sick. It works on multiple la- levels. The chorus... Uh, of the daydreaming uh, works, and then if you know anything about the history of the song, it's it's a guy inside of a robot that's trying to pilot it around, and right. he's kind of paranoid and unsure of his limitations. And I thought that was pretty cool. It is, yeah. So thanks for the tag there, Josh. Uh, Megan S said in your premiere podcast, you know how creepy Elliot's laughing is, and it totally was. I got chills. But I was thinking about back to when I saw Rami Malek before the show, and the first thing that came to my mind is the PS4 game Until Dawn. My fiance right. and I played through it not too long ago. Malek plays one of the characters, and he did voice uh, voice over and mocap, uh, motion capture, which was actually super cool. You go through the game and make decisions that affect the outcome of the game and who lives and who dies. Not going to lie, he was super creepy in it as well. Could also be a cool game for you guys to play through for content as well. Uh, I don't know about that. No promises there. But uh, if you're a Rami, Rami Malek fan and you want to see how he looks digitized, uh, check out in, Until Dawn. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if that's a PlayStation exclusive or if it was available for uh, I think Xbox it's PC. Well. I think it's also oh, yeah? PC. Uh, but, yeah, spoiler alert, he also looks creepy in that. 
Like he never, he's never not looking creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I've ever seen him in is night at the museum. He okay. plays, okay. he plays like the ghost of King Tut or the animated form of King Tut. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah. And he's, uh, you know, he, yeah, I wouldn't say he looks creepy there, but he looks, uh, he looks like Rami Malek. Uh, Jen S says, listen to your recent podcast. You mentioned that you thought Elliot might have have Asperger's. When watching the young Elliot get hurt and go through the hospital, it made me think that he had TBI, traumatic brain injury. The head injury could have caused some degree of brain damage. This could explain his hallucination of Christian Slater and his lack of emotion, paranoia, and loss of reality and memory loss. I made a connection between the scene with young Elliot and his head wound on the scene where he is shot and then is wearing a bandage on his head. He might have been reliving this trauma from when he was a child. He could have been reliving the injury from his childhood over and over. After he was shot, he was writing about how this had happened before. Christian Slater also adds that Elliot has a constant cycle of forgetting what happened and he can't get rid of him because it'll all just start over again with the memory loss. Uh, so... Let me ask you this before we talk about the meat of this email, because it's going to inform how I approach it. The last season flashback where Elliot was talking to his father about the $20 stolen. Did Mm -hmm. you get the strong impression that Elliot had already developed a pretty strong social anxiety or, you know, some kind of spectrum behavior? Uh... No, not really, no. Because for me, I thought that he was a fairly normal kid in that scene. Right. So do you think there is something to this brain injury forming him into the young man that we see in the show? Or do you think this was something that has he's always struggled with and the accident either excavated it or was a you know fallout from, I don't know... I'm not sure where I'm going with that. No, I, I, I think there is something to that idea that, you know, the, the doctor says, oh, there is no brain trauma or anything, but that doesn't mean there necessarily isn't. Yeah, especially uh, if we add to the question, is this scene real? Uh, sure. You know, yeah. uh, I have find it hard to believe that a child can be thrown out of a second-story window and land and not have head drama. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't know if you would want to say in earshot of the kid, yeah, the kid's all fucked up in the head now. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, Looney Tunes. <laughs> Marbles gone. Funny farm here. (laughs) Uh, It's just scrambled eggs. That's not going to help him out much. Uh, So, yeah, he could also just be putting on, uh, you know, he takes the parents out after that, right? Yeah. Uh, And wants to talk to the kid alone. He might be trying to further diagnose him at that point, Mm -hmm. uh, along with find out what his dad did to him. Yeah, because that's my my thought was that he he was wanting to find out what, what, you know, he was, right. he was like some there are charges to be filed here. Sure, other side of the story. Okay, so yeah, that seems plausible there, uh, Jin. Uh, John E said I found an interesting article about the actor that plays Hot Carla, the one that we mentioned. And we couldn't figure out what was going on with her. The pirate. Uh, it turns out that she is a transgendered woman, which might work in the whole prison theory, as women would not be in a prison otherwise. So I don't. Huh know about that so she was born as a man and there's this really sweet article on barney's about her father and how supportive he was about this whole transition process and helped his son turn into his daughter um about hot carla yeah the 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 actress that plays hot carla so there's stuff out there about her yeah oh oh the actress herself i thought you meant the character not hot carla the actress herself um gotcha 
And I, I don't know. It could just be that they needed an actor and she fit the bill for this particular character. It could be this uh-huh. gives a little bit more ethereal quality to the to the show. Um, Maybe they're going to explore, you know, her transgendered stuff later. Well, the other thing is that, like, he's saying, like, but he's saying, like, well, would this explain, like, you know, if she was, like, and this is a question I've asked ever since Orange and the New Black came out. Like, they have a transgendered character there who was a man and transitioned to be a woman, and she's currently in a woman's prison. And Mm -hmm. I've always wondered, like, is society really that hip that they would put a transgendered man into a woman's prison? Or they'd be like, well, we don't give a shit what you identify with or how much hormonal treatment or what kind of surgery it says man on your birth certificate. So guess what? You're going to men's prison. I guess right. uh, John here is interpreting it that that that's how it would happen. And this is a hint that, you know, this, this, this hot Carla is a transgender person and, and they're stuck in prison. But if you go the new, the, the, the orange and the new black theory, then they would actually put you into the prison that you identify with. Right. I, I mean, don't we're know. arguing about bathrooms nowadays. So yes. clearly we're not very progressive on the issue. But it's also New York City, which, you know, that seems like that would be left up. I, I imagine states would have a wide latitude in how they do that stuff. So I sure. and honestly I don't I remember that being a question on the Orange and New Block podcast like four seasons ago. I do not think there was any clear indication of how the criminal justice system would handle that. Okay. But uh, I don't know. It uh, could be uh, grist for the mill. I'll throw that link if you want to read uh, about the, the reason that they wrote about her is I guess she was in a um, a big, uh, like a fat, not a fashion suit, but like an art sh- shoot. And they, they did an article on like all the different uh, models that were involved in it and their backstories. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw that in there if you want to see some uh, behind the scenes information. Because again, the story with her and her dad is pretty sweet. Pascal D. from Ontario writes in, said, you guys made a comment in last episode that Angela may have to, quote-unquote, go further in at E-Corp if she, in fact, plans to destroy them. I wanted to share some evidence that, to me, proves Angela is taking a job at E-Corp as part of her plan to ruin them from within. Shortly after she decides to lie about breaking the chain of command with the data file that led to Colby's arrest in Season 1, she knows she's going to be fired. Instead of panicking, she tells her father and Elliot not to worry that she has a plan. Also, in episode 9 of season 1, while sitting at the table about to offer Angela a job, Colby makes a comment, If you want to change things, you may have to change them from within. Could this be Sam Esmail sending us a message? I believe this is all part of an elaborate plan for which will continue to unravel. What are your thoughts? My first thought is, I hope this goes better for her than it did normally, uh, Natalie Dormer. Uh, what's <laughs> okay. your thoughts, Jim? Uh, man, this it, she's really relying on a lot of... Uh, hopeful outcomes to her scenario. Like, <laughs> right. She wants this guy who she's clearly antagonizing to offer her a job at the end of it. Like, that's her plan? Yeah. I, like, I don't know that she could be certain or even, like, have a relative amount of assuredness that she would get a job at E-Corp in any way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because uh, it seems it doesn't seem to lead that way logically. Well, I mean, if if she has a plan, because this is also seen in light of the fact her father is saddled this crippling debt that he's not dealing with, that maybe this was she's speaking to I have a plan like, you know, this is going to blow up and I'm going to get justice for you through this E-Corp thing by mm-hmm. getting all this information. 
Um, and then when they offer her the job, they kind of buy her off that she sees this as a way to strike a, a, a broader blow. So I don't, I don't necessarily, when she says she has a plan that she's talking about what she's about to do, like she's not prescient. She doesn't know they're going to offer a job, but okay. You know, otherwise I think you're right on. I think that we are supposed to like, at this point we got to understand that Angela is playing a part because there's no fucking way I buy that she is gagging for Phillip's old man CEO cock. Uh, right. That, that that's can't be excited like other and, and, and unless it's a uh, an avenue to manipulate him and to further ingratiate herself to him for some plan, which I assume is noble because again, it's such a wild swing of her character to go the, yeah. the, the this, this new direction. Otherwise, uh, Teresa V, uh, she caught that we mentioned about wonder there's going to be further alter- or augmented reality games or alternative reality games that are coming out. And she said that we actually missed one that uh, first debuted in May and uh, the Reddit like was able to feverishly crack. So in the official sh- trailer when it came out, uh, which was it launched on May 16th, I'm not sure when this contest was, uh, was announced or when it was concluded, but um, at f- 41 seconds into the trailer, there's like a half-second display of someone taping up an evidence box. And if you blow up that, you can see a phone number, 212-804-6003, that was, again, seen for like a half of a second. If you called that, you got a message where it says, Thank you for calling the E-Corp helpline. Following the recent events, we're experiencing an unusually high collar volume. To avoid waiting and for more information, please visit our webpage at www. And then the message breaks up and a quote uh, plays, in order for the light to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present. And then there's a series of beeps of two different tones. And if you translate the beeps into a series of A's and B's, you get, uh, well, you get a ABBA, 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 essentially. And that's the end. Good, good one. Right. Uh, Baba is a Baba Booey joke. Uh, yep. But the quote, this thing that in order the light to shine so brightly, the darkness must be present, uh, is attributed to Francis Bacon, who is famous for using this particular Bacon cipher, which they used to decode the beeps, and they got F S O C dot D O T S H, which you could write down as F sock dot S H. You go to F sock dot S H. There is an eye, an animated gif of an eye in the middle that's surrounded by letters and numbers on the page. And if you look at the way the eye is moving and track at what letter, God, what it letter and insane. number yep. it's looking at, and you write down the order, you get 4C4F4F4B205550, which, of course, Sounds everyone like that can translate hexadecimal uh, mm-hmm. to, he- to ASCII on the fly, uh, you, that translates into look up. Which is a reference to a blinking cursor at the top of the fsoc.sh site, and if you notice the pattern is blinking in, it's actually Morse code. Oh my god! Which translates to "Leave me here," which nice. works as the password on the fsoc.sh site that then takes you to a site where you can then join the F Society and give them their F. And I guess the first 590 people that did this got a hoodie. And a F Society mask mailed to Holy them. shit, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's where I'm saying, like, who the hell knows how far this rabbit hole goes? Because yeah. this was a fairly elaborate trail 
left for people to figure out. And I guess after you do, after you sign up, it dumps you to the, you know, uh, who is Mr. Robot website, which implies that the game is over. But the mm-hmm. fact that this site is evolving as the episodes continue to unravel means maybe there is going to be an ARG on top of the ARG. Um, yeah. And the fact that they've done it before means that they could probably do it again. So buckle up. Who knows how deep this rabbit hole goes and how many clues there are embedded in these episodes and what to be looking out for. Like, I just don't feel like that no one can say that someone's obsessively, obsessively analyzing this show too much at this point. Yeah. I love it. Uh, that's actually the end of the feedback we have for this week. Again, if you'd like to send us more robot at baldmove.com uh, or forums.baldmove.com. Jim, any closing thoughts? Nope. I'm good. Can't wait for next week. All right. Well, safe travels back to the studio, and uh, we'll get you back and have another podcast out next Friday for next Wednesday's episode of Mr. Robot. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.